This is your home for St. Cloud State Hockey, keeping you up to date on the NCHC. Women's WCHA. Dana Rasmussen fires and she scores! Dana Rasmussen for the Huskies. The National Hockey League. Kaprizov in for a chance to win it. He scores! Thrill the thrill is for real! Welcome to the NHL, a game winner. And everything from the state of hockey. Cloud Cathedral is now 42.6 seconds away from wrapping up the school's first ever title. Welcome to the Huskies Warming House Podcast Den. Welcome in to episode number 129 here on the Huskies Warming House podcast. My name is Noah Grant alongside Nick Maxson. And Nick, uh, we've been doing some NCHC previews, which uh, were the brainchild of your own creation, whatever you want to call it. And uh, this is kind of the one we've all been waiting for, at least if you're a St. Cloud State Huskies fan. Our final preview, of course, is the hometown club. And it's kind of fun to see all of these come uh, to fruition a little bit and go through all of the teams and kind of set the precedent about what it's going to be. And then the grand finale, of course, which is going to be St. Cloud State here uh, on this edition of the Hussies Warming House podcast. We also have uh, quite a bit of uh, Huskies Illustrated weekly roundup things to get through. Of course, some more signings, a lot more PTO offers coming through as well. And then uh, some new jerseys and things that are uh, popping around the NHL, kind of cool to have a really late release for one of the NHL teams and probably what has been the worst kept secret of the past week as far as the NHL fashion industry is concerned. And then you'll want to stick around if you're a Huskies fan as well. The extra ice session, all things happening in St. Cloud State. What have you missed from the past summer since we've really not gotten a chance to talk about St. Cloud in depth? We're going to talk a little bit about the new video boards, new personnel that are coming in and a lot other things that you should be having on your radar as we are basically less than two weeks away almost from uh, some college hockey action. So should be mm-hmm. very exciting. And as always, we start with Center Ice View News and Notes in the Huskies Illustrated Weekly Roundup. Center Ice View News and Notes. Center Ice View provides you with the best coverage of St. Cloud State Huskies hockey from game notes, recaps, photos, and more. Go to centericeview.com. Illustrated Weekly Roundup, Noah, and the Center Ice View News and Notes. And as you mentioned, quite a bit to get through. Uh, speaking of a bunch, a bunch of stuff to get through, holy cow, the Sharks <laughs> and Evander Kane had a bunch of stuff to work through um, uh, for a while now. But it sounds like they did work it through. It sounds like everything is done. Um, as far as the actual details and what's been happening, uh, yet to be determined. But for those who have missed it, the Sharks terminated the contract of Evander Kane. Um, effectively felt like there was a breach of contract from a Vander Kane standpoint. Um, he was then resigned to the uh, Edmonton Oilers, And from what we know, and know what it sounds like they're not going to essentially uh, penalize the sharks, like a terrible amount of money. Um, but it sounds like they're just going to take the difference or the reporting suggests between the current Edmonton contract and the Sharks contract uh, yeah. extended out over a certain period, then charge a cap hit uh, to the Sharks based on that uh, amount. Again, this is all uh, not confirmed, but 
uh, this was uh, something they came to as a settlement. So um, this is good for everybody involved, the Sharks, the Oilers, and especially for Evander Kane. If this was something that went into the regular season, uh, I would imagine that it would just be a, a lingering distraction. So um, mm -hmm. what was kind of a goofy situation seems to be over with, but again, still waiting on the exact details. But what we know, that's sort of what we're expecting to see is some type of uh, NHL penalty to the Sharks with some type of cap hit over the next maybe couple of seasons. Yeah, and I think it's nice to just get it done and let everybody move on. The Sharks are doing their own thing. Evander Kane's got his own thing that he's doing. Um, you know, the NHL and NHLPA approved it, so uh, everybody moved on. It's not often that you hear that the NHL and NHLPA agree on something and agree on it quickly. Quickly, yeah. So <laughs> uh, let's just take the money, literally and figuratively, and run with it. So. Uh, bigger news in the Pacific Northwest, uh, Seattle Kraken promoting uh, Alexander Mandrecki to uh, AGM. Um, this is kind of cool because this is the first woman, I uh, first woman, I should say, that uh, is holding an assistant general manager position at the NHL level. Um, spent the past three seasons as the director of hockey strategy and research. Uh, and how about this? Uh, spent four seasons with uh, our own hometown Minnesota while before joining the Seattle organization last season. So uh, we talk about uh, you know, the, the continued influence of women in the game of hockey. Uh, now, uh, Mandrecki getting a, a very elite position within the Seattle organization uh, as the assistant general manager position. Noah. Yeah. And she was kind of one of those names when she went to Seattle, kind of a little bit more on the analytics side as well, too. You know, it was a big loss for this club. So um, referring to the Minnesota Wild, but uh, one of the first hires that the Kraken actually made uh, in team history. And it certainly has paid dividends. And, you know, I, I think, there's something to be said too when you just when you have a mind for the game and you have a mind for kind of taking what you see statistically and being able to translate that into business moves and player moves and the right personnel and the right fit for your team. Seattle had a very um, lackluster limelight year last year in terms of the fact that they were kind of a very meh story and the fact that they weren't really a story at all. Um, and maybe this is something that hopefully changes that with a new direction. So uh, the Kraken definitely looking for a little bit more traction in year number two of the franchise. And maybe this will help add to that. Certainly weren't gifted a lot of the deals that Vegas was able to take advantage of too. So I think they yeah. also didn't get quite the advantages that kinda, uh, kinda those wild. in the Nevada did. <laughs> kind of wild that we think, you know, uh, a couple of years ago, we were like, how could they have not taken a chance on Carey Price? And now, you know, Look how that situation is, right? Yeah, and uh, of course, hindsight, right? Twenty twenty, right? So, Vladimir like anybody, Tarasenko? right? <laughs> Holy cow, right? Uh, speaking of uh, signings and you know player movements, uh, let's go to Lone Star State, right? So, uh, Sarge GM Jinmil getting just a one year extension. Mm. Um, current deal expires at the end of twenty twenty three. Gets one now through twenty twenty four, and he's got a still a big job to do. He still has not signed restricted free agent Jason Robertson. Uh, supposedly the talks are ongoing, but uh, I would imagine for Dallas Stars fans, their leading goal scorer still unsigned as we head literally on the doorstep to training camp would have some Stars fans concerned that this young, uh, very up-and-coming superstar, again, uh, was essentially neck and neck for a while, a couple of years ago with Kirill Kaprizov for the uh, the Calder Trophy uh, before Kaprizov just kept going and going, ended up taking uh, the Calder nomination, but uh, still a very good young piece to uh, uh, an offense that has been quite anemic the last couple of seasons, Noah. Yeah, certainly has. And uh, I just want to pull up their cap friendly too to kind of see where they're at as well. But, uh, you know, it sounds like the discussions have been really positive, um, but we've seen this before where players get closer and closer and you don't want them to miss training camp and be on the back foot. Right. And those sorts of things, 76.164 million 
is the projected hit about $6.34 million in cap space for this club uh, right now. So really the the thought here is that you're going to have to make some sort of, well, not so much that, but if you want to retain this kid, which he should be priority, um, you are probably going to have to send somebody on the move. Um, some contract has got to go because he's worth mm-hmm. a lot more than $6.3 million. Yes, um, he is. And push that maybe down closer to the six mil mark w- with transactions and call-ups and those sorts of things. I mean, he's a eight, eight and a half mil a year player at minimum, I would say. 100%. Um, I mean, yeah. he was he was just that good. And I mean, what is he, 23, 24? I mean, young. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, a one-year extension, I think that kind of tells you all that you need to know. Um, hundred percent, you know, yep. so this um, is a do or die uh, year for Jim Nil for sure. Yeah. So, um, I, I kind of wonder what they're going to do. Uh, I think this thing is done, signed, sealed and delivered. If he's got about four more million dollars in cap space, you know, mm-hmm. I don't think it's even a story here this summer, but the stars, they're about one player, or one contract too heavy right now. The Jamie Ben and Tyler Sagan contracts are really starting to look a little raw when it comes to the new addition in the new wave that is Dallas stars hockey and Dallas is um, not that North stars fans care, but it really has not gotten the benefit of any real bounces. Um, even when they no. went to the cup final a couple years ago, it just has been kind of a rocky road down there in Tejas. It really has been an, an unprecedented uh, unprecedented. My gosh, my enunciation is not good today, um, but a, a very unforeseen run to the Stanley Cup final a couple yeah. of years ago uh, up there in the pod um, north of the border. Um, but let's actually go to some signings that have been inked and have been, uh, you know, signed. So uh, we'll start with uh, St. Louis. They did ink Jordan Caillou, uh, eight year, $65 million. So average at 8.125 million a season, uh, 75 points of 74 games last year. Uh, was an all-star, just 24 years of age. That's a great contract for St. Louis. I yeah. think he's worth every penny of it. Uh, the Kings are getting Sean Dursey in two years, $1.7 million as the average for that one. Uh, just his first NHL season, uh, 27 points in 63 games played. But again, still young, only age of 23. So this guy uh, still not even in his prime and a, and a pretty reasonable, yeah. uh, good contract. As, for as a defenseman games. as well, too. Like, yes. Yeah. So um, then uh, Colorado, I think this is going to go uh, I think for the most of the league, I think this is going to be a very underrated signing. How about Ava, um, Evan Rodriguez, one year, two million, uh, 43 points, 82 games played. Um, he's age 29. This is definitely more of a depth signing for Colorado. Mm-hmm. Um, I know you had mentioned uh, in, uh, previously off, off the show that, you know, it's not necessarily the points, but his war, 61% uh, projected of his war. Um, uh, Noah, because you were the stats guy, <laughs> you're the analytics guy. Explain. Explain to our viewers yeah. uh, what that means. Yeah, so war stands for wins above replacement, and your percentile rank is essentially how what your percentage is that you're going to both attain and exceed the the wins given to your team above what a replacement player would be. So a replacement player, for example, will be a AHL top line player that's a bubble player in the National Hockey League that's called up. That's a fourth line player, just your average run of the mill, mill like healthy scratch that gets put into the lineup. How much better in terms of percentage uh, are they able to produce? And sixty one percent is a pretty good number. It's a pretty healthy number. Um, you know, forty three points in eighty two games is the first time he's eclipsed the thirty point mark in his career, and he's twenty nine. It's like his probably fourth or fifth full season in the league, playing with the Penguins Sounds last right. year. Um, was with Buffalo, Buffalo for a while then. too. So, um, this could turn out to be a very low risk, high reward signing for Colorado and a team that does not have much cap space. I think it's one point nine million now moving into uh, the season. 
Uh, so mm-hmm. this could look really good for them. The question is, can he maintain that clip? If he does, I mean, a half a point per game player at that price point is phenomenal. Uh, but and he's a centerman as well too. Um, you know, can play anywhere, but has the ability to play center. Uh, this could be a very nice retool and reload, and really help alleviate uh, the pain of losing Nazem Kadri to free agency down the middle. Certainly can. Uh, Colorado, even with the loss of Nazem Kadri, I think still is up in a lot of people's uh, boards as being, a, I think, still a, a high chance of trying to repeat for another Stanley Cup this year. I think they still have the, the talent there to do it. Uh, speaking of a team that's trying to get back into the Stanley Cup playoffs, Ottawa just continues yeah. um, to uh, it, make themselves look really good. This offseason has been swell for the Senators. Uh, they just added Tyler Mott, uh, just a one-year deal, $1.35 million. So you talk about low risk high reward 27 years old still still in his prime still young uh, only 15 points under 49 games with vancouver um he was pointless in nine games with the rangers um after a trade two playoff goals in a f- total of 15 postseason career games so uh again you talk about a deft move here i would think this is for ottawa but uh, again you know uh, they're they're expecting jake sanderson back it sounds like he's good to go uh for some recent reporting so Mm-hmm. With everything that Ottawa has done, uh, no, I would think at this point it would be a pretty big disappointment if Ottawa didn't crack a playoff spot this season. I wouldn't you agree? Yeah, I mean it's kind of hard to tell because you can look at so many of these players on paper and say, "Yep, you know they've got this guy, they've got that guy." Uh, it's kind of like our NCHC previews, right? You know, it, it's so easy to say, "Oh, here's this incoming freshman who looks good. Here's this transfer who looks really good." But you know, it's all about how you play. And the other thing that we know, especially with an NHL schedule as opposed to college, you got to stay healthy. Um, mm-hmm. You know, so if you have one or two of these guys, you talk about Jake Sanderson's recent injury at the tail end of the last NCHC season. You know, is he ready to go? And is he ready for a full-time role, the National Hockey League level jumping in as a young kid. Uh, you know, it, a lot of question marks with this team. I think if everything rolls out right, they kind of are, well, let's go back to the NCAC again, the Colorado College Tigers of uh, the NHL a little bit where we ex- have high expectations of them if the cards fall correctly. Um, but, you know, certainly time is obviously going to tell. So, But definitely steps in the right direction. They did not get worse over the offseason. They definitely, you can pencil them in as getting significantly better, at least on paper, uh, to start the NHL season. Which leads us to, uh, you know, the big PTO time uh, as we edge towards uh, the NHL uh, training camps. So uh, a couple of uh, names that we uh, added over the weeks. So Ottawa adding Derek Broussard, who spent some time with Ottawa previously, and also Michael Del Col. Uh, Broussard, 19 points in 49 games between Philadelphia and Edmonton. Um, he's a veteran of 951 NHL games, um, 22 points and th- uh, 39 games for the American Hockey League's Bridgeport. Uh, for uh, Michael Docole last year, uh, and then Calgary adding both Michael Stone as well as Cody Eakin. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Michael Stone uh, was with Calgary last year, um, only played in 11 regular season games, but uh, more importantly was a playoff impact performer. Yeah. So five points in nine playoff games. He was second on the team uh, among defensemen in scoring. And then for Cody Eakin, uh, he's kind of bounced around a little bit in his uh, lately yeah. in his career, 31 years of age, 12 points and 69 games for Buffalo last year. Definitely was a little bit more of a disappointing uh, season for him in Buffalo. Really thought that he would be a nice depth piece to boost some offense. Didn't really happen. So uh, Flames bring him in on a PTO and uh, see if he's able to earn himself a contract. Is it ironic that our next topic happens to involve the San Jose Sharks right after we talk about Cody Eakin? I, How about that, right? <laughs> uh, well, just Yikes. trying to just try not to fall over over this one. Um, 
So the San Jose Sharks, uh, they unveiled their new primary uniforms for the first time since 2013, their new update here. Um, Mm -hmm. Homes and aways were done. It's an all-teal setup on the homes, and then uh, teal pants, shells, everything, and then white uniforms. So pretty much they've taken all of the orange out of the uniforms besides what's in the logo on, like, the stick. Um, Yeah. And, and all the black it, is gone, essentially. Yeah, and I know Most a lot. Of it, yeah, and, and I know a lot of people were talking about how they should have kept the black shells and the gloves and the helmet. And I'm a traditionalist, and I'm all for black, and I think it would look really well. I got to be honest with you, and I'm not a big colored shells guy. Um, I'm a big shells and cheese guy. You ever have Velveeta shells and cheese? Those are the shells I'm talking about. But uh, <laughs> beyond that, um, and if you don't know what I'm talking about with shells, by the way, they're the hockey pants. Um, I should probably clarify that for some people. Um, but. Honestly, I think the Altea look, I think it looks really good. It's kind of an ode uh, a little bit to the 90s, except they've never actually had all teal shells and everything mm-hmm. until now. Um, I think it's cool. I think they look really good. I like the striping. I like the simplistic design, um, but I think it works well with their color scheme. Um, have some photos of the homes and aways of guys on the ice with them already. I think they project well as far as like a TV broadcast is concerned. The numbers pop. They're really easy to read. Um, I really like it. I, I like the redesign, but they kind of stayed true to their roots a little bit and didn't kind of go with this outlandish. I mean, a couple of years ago, they had what the the trim on the shoulders and kind of the the orange trim the that was going on. Trim, yeah. yeah. Um, not that that was terrible. And, you know, it's fun. It to mix things different, up. right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. But uh, I like the look. I know there's some people that are kind of not big on the all teal. And I get that. And maybe we'll have to see some black pants and helmets after your number one. But what do you think, Nick? I, I think they look really good. Here's the funny thing. They did exactly what the Colorado Avalanche did just this season. They got rid of the black, too, because yeah. um, they went with all, what was it, the, uh, not the teal, but their blue or, yeah. you know, for their shells as well. So, so. the Sharks are going to win the cup this year, clearly. Uh, well, I'm not sure what I'm, it's not going to be the Stanley <laughs> Cup. I'll tell you that much. They might win the Molson Cup, meaning the, the cup that's uh, filled with Molson beer and you know, you're winning the chug race. But yeah, at the, uh, at yeah, the golf course, yeah, at the golf course come, <laughs> uh, you know, mid-April. Uh, but no, I, I agree with you. I like the look. Um, I, I like the updated design. Like you said, a little bit less busy, maybe more simplistic, more modern. Um, I do like the teal shells to it. Again, it's. It, always when we have these sort of jersey redesigns, there's always going to be people that love it. There's going to be people that hate it. Uh, at the end of it, give it a month or two, and people just kind of get used to it. I don't know. I, I like it. I, I like both the home and the ways. It's a nice little look. Uh, it's Again, it's not a huge change. It really is just a more of a, uh, a color splash, you could say. We're seeing more yeah. NHL teams do it. Uh, again, we talked about Colorado get, doing it with their blacks too. Uh, so it, it's almost like, you know, who's next? Who's going to ditch the blacks next at yeah. the end of the day? You know, you know, it wasn't like risque either. I, I, I kind of think back to maybe the Dallas Stars and their neon design they did a couple of years ago, like two years mm-hmm. ago or whatever. That's a little bit more on the edge. I also don't think with that marketing scheme they had that they had whoever it was, was it Sagan with the black visor and that? Yes. That I think was kind of off putting because that's that's just not a hockey thing. You that know, was like, a tribute to Ovechkin back in the day. Remember yeah. The, the, the smoked visor. Right. On. But but no one but no <laughs> one's ever no one's ever worn a visor that dark. You know what I mean? Right. Like it just doesn't make sense. So I think that was maybe like it kind of reminded me a little bit more of like NFL running backs, maybe. Um, yeah, that's you fair. know, so I I don't know. This is a little less risque and of course this is a primary jersey too so it kind of has to be a little bit more subdued but i i think uh if i had to rate it i would say eight out of ten i think they did a really good job uh to be honest with you you know seven out of ten eight out of ten somewhere around there you think nice. yeah i'm with you on that yeah all right well uh, 
how about 10 out of 10s here? Um, and we're going to throw it back to 1970, apparently, our second to last topic. Oh, boy. <laughs> uh, the, Mon- the Montreal <laughs> Canadiens named Nick Suzuki the 31st captain in team history. 149 points in 203 NHL games. He's just 23 years of age. Um, so that was cool. Really exciting. A lot of people talked about maybe uh, a veteran like Brendan Gallagher getting the call, which he has an assistant captain role as it is. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe as a guy that maybe is a little bit of trade bait as he enters the last you know year or two of his contract. I can't remember how many More he's got likely. left, but, he, but he's yeah. getting there. Um, you know, and they just kind of look want to look towards the future for Montreal. And it sounds like mm-hmm. he's a really good locker room guy. From you know, it wasn't just oh we're gonna pick a young kid to pick a young kid. It sounds like he really does have some good leadership ability. But and my favorite Vegas is uh, you know regretting that trade at all. Yeah, yikes! Oh my um, goodness! <laughs> you know, my favorite part about about this though is Quebec politicians. So it, obviously, if you don't know, uh, in Eastern Canada, especially around Quebec, Ontario, um, a little bit more French speaking uh, mm-hmm. historically, um, and some politicians think the new Habs captain should learn French, um, which is kind of akin to something you see in other sports where certain teams won't sign a guy unless he can speak the language and that sort of thing. And Nick Suzuki, he fired back and he said, yeah, not happening. It's not 1970. Time to move on, which I think is awesome because um, somebody made a really good point on Twitter, which is which, of course, is the most factual platform known to man today. Yes. And they talked about how some of these other places that are comparables like European soccer clubs, football mm-hmm. clubs, whatever you want to call it. They won't sign a guy unless he can speak German, unless he can speak whatever it is. Well, the difference is a lot of these places and clubs that do that. That's the primary language or a lot of people maybe don't speak English. There's a lot of people that speak English, you know, in French speaking Canada, and he's there to play hockey. He's not there to, you know, not that he can't be an advocate as the Canadian's captain, but yeah, not a necessary thing. He can write and read in French. He's just learning how to speak. I don't know. The kid can put the puck in the net and he's a great captain already for. So, yeah. So, I mean, what, what do you think as a media guy yourself? Uh, is it a is it a logical thing to, for them to ask? That? No, yeah. absolutely not. I mean, it's <laughs> it, it just shows you. Now, granted, you know Montreal, you know the the traditionalist hockey throne of of the North American circuit, effectively. Um, you know, they've the story is not new to say the least. I mean, yeah. part of the reason you know Michelle Terrian uh, was a coach because he was able to speak French. I mean, it's it's kind of like what do you want to call it? I mean, you talk about the country club atmosphere. It really is, but more of like a hometown sort of angle to it. Whereas they really want to be able to have like that sort of connection to the organization. And for them, that connection is the French language. It's, it's, in today, in at least from our perspective, it seems odd, right? Because we're yeah. not there, and I get it. They're crazy about their hockey out there. I get it. At the same time, uh. Be realistic. When was the last? When was the last time that uh, Montreal won a cup? Ninety three. Yeah, and, and subsequently, it was about the last time that they actually had a French, like true French speaking and French, I believe French born uh, captain, right. if I'm not mistaken. Right. Also, um, yours truly spent some time, in, you know, with TSN six ninety, which is uh, in Montreal. Uh, I spent uh, a better part of a couple of seasons. Uh, previewing the wild and then the NHL with that kind of stuff. So I was on there quite regularly. Well, if you actually watch the NHL medias uh, in Montreal, there's both a French and an English uh, television and radio outlet. So it's like to, to think that just having him to speak French is the only option available. Clearly 
that's not yeah. the case. So. The, the last one uh, was actually Vin Vincent Dampuse, uh back Dampuse, in 1999, yeah. 98-99. And then, of course, Saku Koivu for a number of years. Brian Gianta for about four and a half seasons. Then Max yep. Pacioretty for three and a half. Shea Weber for three. And now Nick Suzuki. So, um, And then for before that, I mean, you had Guy Charbonneau, Chris Chelios, Bob Gainey oh, for a long time. Yeah, yeah so... Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. The kid can put the puck in the net, and that's all I got to say about that. Well, if you're a Montreal fan, that's all you should care about yeah. is if you want to win a Stanley Cup, uh, granted, you're probably further away from that now than you were just a couple of seasons ago, right. um, and that remarkable one. But uh, regardless of you hoist a Stanley Cup, the first words out of his mouth aren't French or English. I don't really think you care, honestly. Yeah, <laughs> and we know what they are, and regardless, you're probably going to just hear a big, long beep when uh, Pretty much. That, that would ever happen. Uh, speaking of... Right. Uh, beeps for the Chicago Blackhawks. Our final national topic here. Defenseman Jake McCabe will miss 10 to 12 weeks after undergoing successful cervical spine surgery. Um, sounds painful. Yeah. Um, just ask Jack Eichel. Uh, the current recovery timeline projects McCabe to return between late November and early December. So he appeared in 75 games, 22 points, averaging just over 20 minutes per contest last season. And also just a quick note on that too, Noah uh, was actually skating with the club uh, just recently, obviously no contact, but it sounds like it was a more of a minor procedure. Not that any surgery is minor, yeah. um, but it sounds like he was actually skating. So uh, more precautionary for the 10 to 12 weeks just to make sure everything heals, but sounds like uh, doing okay. Yeah. Speaking of doing okay, we're going to head on to our final NCHC preview in the main portion of the show. Welcome into episode number 129, the main portion of the show. Nick Maxson joining myself, Noah Grant here, as always here, uh, recording uh, mid to late afternoon here on this Saturday, September 17th, pushing down to the wire of the start of both college hockey and some NHL hockey. I think, uh, Nick, we talked a little bit off show before we started about recording times. We're going to be recording on Sunday next week, I'm pretty sure. You know, So we might have a mid to late afternoon Sunday release or at worst a Monday morning release for next week's show. What's going to be in that, you ask? Well, we're actually going to do a Minnesota Wild preview as well, too. It's not going to be as in-depth as some of the NCAC ones that we do. It's going to be a little bit more kind of raw and on the fly like our show normally is um, because I don't have the time to do any more stats. I am done searching stats. <laughs> I am done doing it. About NCAA. only took you on episode 129 to figure uh, that out <laughs> oh my gosh yeah about two to three this one especially yeah um a lot because you know you want to get it right and i think one of the things to point right. out we had a good conversation uh with caleb peabody the other day you know jack burbix is headed to western michigan kind of under the radar we also missed i think another transfer or two for the broncos as well and you know, for us and one of the goals that we had for this, you know, it's kind of more to just get people excited and, you know, kind of give them a rundown of what we think about the college season coming up, you know, as we're obviously excited. Um, with that being said, you know, we spend, like I said, two to three hours, sometimes even four, trying to put each team's package together. Man, things change. Uh, guys get signed right. at the last second. It's easy to miss things. You still got some transfer portals going on. So we get that we're not going to be perfect. Um, you know, that's one of the things that we miss with Jack Perbix, you know, headed to Western Michigan. Um, but with that being said, I mean, you know, it, it doesn't detract from how excited we are to see the Broncos, which the Huskies only have them once this season, actually. Um, so, yeah, just kind of wanted to throw that out there, too, because I know that, um, you know, occasionally we'll hear that where it's like, well, you missed this. Or did you also notice this yet? Yeah, you know, you know, we appreciate it. We appreciate our listeners and viewers being eagle eyed and having some of that information, but you know, where we're at, you know, we're doing the best we can and we're just excited to get ready for uh, the college hockey season here and talk about a team, the St. Cloud state Huskies, Nick, 
and you're gonna like this. This did send me down a rabbit hole. Uh, oh, there's Saint, something new. Yeah, St. Cloud uh, obviously plays at the Herbrooks National Hockey Center, built in 1989, renovated uh, in 20, I believe 2013, and then 2022 with the new video boards and sound system, obviously. Um, capacity of 5,159 in the Granite City there in St. Cloud, Minnesota. So, Nick, it got me thinking. Because there's something about the Herbrooks National Hockey Center that makes it relatively unique amongst uh, uh, hockey rinks out there. Do you have any idea what that might be? Is it the Olympic sheet? Wow, look at you. It's almost like you know what you're talking about. So I pretend most times I dug into that a little bit and I thought the 63 teams now that are in the NCAA, not including Alabama Huntsville, so technically 64, but Alabama Huntsville has a normal size sheet. How many Olympic sheets are there in NCAA Division One hockey? Five. You are close. There's four. I knew there because Colorado College did have Olympic. They now gone okay, down there to you NHL. Go. Yep. Yeah. So there can, was one. St. Cloud's obviously another. Can you yep. name the other three? I just, I you know it's funny. I, I looked at this for a broadcast last year at the HP. Uh, wasn't one of the Alaska schools one of them? You are correct. Alaska Fairbanks, the Carlson Center built in 1990, uh, 4,595 capacity. Um, there's another one that is in the state of hockey. Oh, yeah. Mariucci. Duh. Yep. 3 okay. Yeah. Capacity then, of 10,000 built in 1993. And then, oh, geez. I don't think I... you'll get the last one. It is out east. I'll give you that much. I remember the out east one was sort of uh, not a familiar name, if I recall correctly. Is that right? Yeah. Yep. Um, funny ties to Minnesota. The last time they were in a national championship game, New Hampshire. Uh, I'm sure okay. the, Whitt- the Whittemore Center, 6,501 is capacity built in 1994. However, Nick, we're not done. There is a list of larger than NHL size, but less than Olympic size sheets in NCAA division one hockey. So they are Lord. They are larger than 200 by 85. Every rink in the NCAA is 200 feet long. So that's consistent mm-hmm. at least, but they are, lar- they are larger than 85 feet wide, but they are less than 100 feet wide. How many of these rinks exist in college hockey? I imagine there's more than we probably realize. So let's go with 10. You're really close. Actually 11. Uh, <laughs> very, very nice job. Congrats. Uh, so uh, well, let's run through. I, I listed them in order, not by alphabetical order, but I listed them by size. So we're getting wider as we go. Um, sure. Kind of like my life after I continue to eat cheeseburgers. Um, <laughs> so uh, let's start here. Boston college, the Conte forum, the Kelly rink um, built in 1988, uh, 200 by 87 as is a foot on each side. Yeah. Effectively. As, Yep, as is Harvard's Bright Hockey Center, um, which was built originally in 1956. Um, Army Tate Rink uh, is 200 by 90. A lot of these are 200 by 90, actually. So Army, BU, Dartmouth, Minnesota State Mankato, actually. I didn't know that. The Mayo Clinic Event Center. Um, Northeastern and Vermont Gutterson Fieldhouse uh, have all been built uh, at 200 by 90, including Northeastern's Matthews Arena, which was originally uh, theoretically conceived in 1909. Oh boy. Uh, so yeah. So 1909 for them, 1963 for Vermont, uh, Mankato, of course, in 1995, uh, Dartmouth in 1975, BU in 2005, um, and then Army in 1985, where I've, I've actually gotten a chance to skate at Tate Rink. It's actually a pretty nice little building there. Not a big 
facility. It's just over 2,600. Um, but all 200 by 90, we have three left here, Nick. And this is where it gets really weird, I think. Um, UMass uh, at the William D. Mullen Center, capacity of 8,373, built in 1993, uh, 200 by 95. Interesting. As is Notre Dame. The Compton oh. Family Ice Arena, 5,022 is capacity, which was built, oddly enough, in 2011. Wow. So even. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Isn't it? That's I, very I, interesting. I thought so, too. Um, our last one. Um, I'm going to see if you can guess this. Uh, this arena was built in 1998, and it has a capacity of 15,237. Oh, oh, North Dakota? No, North Dakota is just 115. 5. This is the Island. second this is the second largest rink um in Division 1 hockey right now. The first is Ohio State. You're going to kick yourself when I tell you it. Probably. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'll I'll tell you this. I'll tell you this. St. Cloud has them on the schedule this year if you've gotten a chance to look at the schedule. It's not UMD, is it? It is not UMD. It is Wisconsin, the Cole Center. Cole Center. That was Ugh, I was thinking the, the Cole, the Cole Center, Center is 200 feet long by 97 feet wide. That's right, because the Cole Center they use for basketball too, don't they? <laughs> Isn't that weird? That's I, I should have thought of that. Oh, I'm kicking myself now. Jeez. I knew you were gonna kick yourself, but that's mm -hmm. right. Also, the Cole Center, I always forget the Cole Center holds a ton of people. Um, like what a, actually a great hockey rink, to be honest with you. Um, but speaking of hockey rinks, the Herbrooks National Hockey Center, like we mentioned, uh, is the home of Brett Larson, head coach of the Huskies in his fifth season, along with Dave Shyak in his third. Um, assistant coach RJ Enga, his first season behind the bench as an assistant, his second total with the team, and ninth in the NCHC, of course, was with the Colorado College Tigers for seven years. Uh, goaltending coach is Matt Bertram in his fifth year. Hockey ops, Clark Custer in his first season, making the transition from the St. Cloud Norseman to the NHL. And then others, of course, because this is St. Cloud State, so we're going to mention them. Brian Demain, who's the trainer. Jake Franzik, who's the strength coach. And Jeremiah Minkle, the equipment manager, are the other notables there. As we get ready for uh, what is going to be a very exciting season. But first, we can't talk about this year without the last, Nick, right? Because that's that's mm -hmm. how that's how we do things on this show. Yes. Um, we like to work backwards. Uh 37 games played overall for this team, 24 conference, 10 non-conference, no exhibition games for this club last season, uh, two conference playoff games. We know how those went uh, and one NCAA tournament appearance game. Uh, so the pairwise, uh, 10th out of 59 for a 565 winning percentage. Uh, they were fourth out of uh, eight, excuse me. Yeah, fourth out of eight uh, in the NCHC. Technically, uh, yep. Yep, 36 points. They did win that tiebreaker against Duluth, um, and Duluth paid them back for it handily last season. Yes. Uh, overall, 18, 15, and four last season. 10, 10, and four, exactly identical with Duluth in the conference. Uh, 11, five, and three at home, actually. A pretty good little home split, actually. Uh, the, the three ties was a little tough. Uh, seven and nine and one on the road though, and zero and one in neutral sites, including mm -hmm. a one four and four overtime appearance. They had the most overtime and shootout appearances of any team by far in the NCHC last season. That's going to be a huge point. And they were one and three in overtimes that did not go to a shootout. So it just did, yeah, not great. Wasn't good. Yeah. So doesn't doesn't help when your jersey's tugged either. Yeah. So, <laughs> cer certainly not. Well, let's let's talk about the opponents with the wins and the losses. Um, and Nick, when I was putting this together, and I think I, I really started to get a better appreciation after going through some of the teams that we had previously. There are some numbers in here. There are some goal scores in here. There are some splits in here 
that yes, you had the the twelve to two drubbing of St. Thomas and the nineteen goal weekend or whatever against Miami. Miami probably yeah. skews things a little bit, but regardless, this team at least statistically had better numbers than the top teams in the NCHC in some capacity. Um, mm-hmm. really interesting year for this team last year, and we talked a little bit about them being a little bit like maybe Denver, you know, the year prior in the pod where they were just Mm -hmm. kind of in that weird spot where they really didn't find that cohesion that was expected. Mm -hmm. Um, On the whole, starting off with just the information I've given you, St. Cloud's season last year, how do you even begin to summarize it? Well, I think frustrating is actually the best word because uh, at the end of at least from a fan's perspective, and I say that just because, Again, with so many players returning from the national championship run, which I know, uh, just there was there were the the expectations are so much higher, right? Um, and then you you get in some transfers, uh, you have some freshmen coming in, and you really just kind of think, okay, what could this team with the little that was subtracted, I mean, w- what would be the obstacle, right? And it ended yeah. up being that it was themselves, honestly. Yeah. Um, and I think you really, when you break it down, you know, as you look at the whole season, I mean, that was kind of it. They're just, for whatever reason, just the magic wasn't there. Yeah. Um, and so I, I think, again, from the casual fans perspective, it was just a question of why, because not a lot changed. But then let's bring in the hockey, you know, IQ here, Noah, is that, when you are a national runner up, um, your film is broken down piece by piece. And yep. whether it's your own conference, whether it's non-conference opponents, uh, they study you. They studied, hey, what you know, what was their makeup? What was their strategy? What did they do? You've got targets on your back. And so I don't know if it's a bit of a hangover, you know, to it. I think that was a little bit to it. Uh, but the reality is when you play that much more hockey and you got teams that are trying to replicate um your success one and everybody's trying to slow you down. Um, especially when a lot of the same players are back. Um, it's like anything else. And you're trying to find uh, the, the, the weak chain um, yeah. in the system. And, you know, how can we take down a team that was, you know, arguably very good in all facets of the game? And it's tough to repeat. It just isn't college hockey. It's so difficult. And uh, unfortunately, St. Cloud learned that the hard way last season. They did. And it's interesting, again, you know, theoretically, so let's say this scoring by period plus 27 in period number one, outscoring their opponents 44 to 17 in the first period. So you can tell when they had a really good start, you know, Mm -hmm. it was good. We'll get back to that in a second. Uh, Outscoring opponents 50 to 34 for a plus 16 rating in period number two, and then outscored by a differential of four, 38 to 42 in period three and dash three in overtime, because it's kind of hard to claw back after you've allowed one in OT. Right. Um, So a 133 to 97 differential, which is plus 36, which is one of the best in the NCHC. Now, here's the thing. If you take uh, the St. Thomas game and then the weekend essentially from Miami, and let's say you give the Huskies a one goal win in each of those three blowout games, I think it still comes to um, like plus nine or something like that Mm -hmm. without that, which isn't terrible. But you know, some of these splits that St. Cloud had plus 166 in the shot differential. Um, they were positive in every period except for overtime, including a plus 114 differential in the opening period. Very, very good. 17, 7, and 1 when scoring first, and they were exactly 507 and 7 when they were um scored on first. When they were out shooting their opponent 14, 6, and 3. Um, when they were outshot, they were four and eight, so they were still in those games. Here's where it gets interesting, Nick. Mm-hmm. Leading after one, 15, four and one, good splits, 17, yep. two and two. Great. You know, like closing out hockey games or at least pushing them into uh, extras here. One goal games, 
two and six in one goal games. Yep. Oh, four and two when trailing after period number one. Yep. And oh, 10 and two when trailing after period number two. They are the only team in the NCHC to not get an outright regulation victory when trailing after period number one and when trailing after period number two. When they were tied after period number one, they were three, seven and one. And they mm-hmm. were one and three when tied after period number two. So can we definitively say, Nick, the starts for this team were extremely imperative for a group that actually averaged four and a half shots more per game than their opponent um, and outshot their opponents on many given nights. Uh, we saw that too when we watched them play. I, I think we talked about ad nauseum, if anything, which is, you know, one of the, you know, sort of the ingredients to last, uh, to the season beforehand was, you just never, you never got the sense uh, going from regular season to the NCHC uh, tournament to even tournament time that even if they were scored on first, they just never seemed bothered by it. Yeah. You know, they just they had a sense of calm and confidence about themselves as a team, right? Whereas this year, and, and maybe the mentality was the same, the execution certainly was not there. Um, you could certainly tell that they were fighting an uphill battle um, when they were trailing. It just never seemed to me. And I don't, I'm, I'm curious your thoughts on this, Noah, too, that yeah. dare I say that, you know, was it and I, I, I characterize it as the I mean, they were their own worst enemies to me. It just yeah. felt like the team just were gripping the sticks too tight that they were kind of enveloped in the pressure of this follow up season. And for whatever reason, they just couldn't quite put together an effort to get them back into a hockey game, either a to tie it or two to put themselves some distance between the two. It just didn't feel like the team just really could pull it together. And by those numbers, hard to argue that. Yeah, certainly. Um, You know, and, I'm, and I want to make sure that I get the right game here. There is actually what there is actually a game that ends up, I think, encompassing the entire St. Cloud season from last year. Um. And I'm curious to see one, if you can guess the opponent, first of all, that it might sure. have come against uh, any idea who, which opponent I might be referencing. North Dakota. It is not North Dakota. It's an, uh, it's an opponent that we have seen quite a bit of in the last couple of years. Duluth then. Yeah. Duluth. And I'm trying to figure out uh, which game it was here. It was the night in which um, it might've been the one-to-one tie um, or maybe the two to nothing. Yeah. It might've been the last weekend of the series or a season. No, it was the game where um, the herb, it was at the Herbrooks National Hockey Center. It was the game where uh, Ryan Fanti absolutely stood on his head. And, oh, yeah. and that was the game where, for reference here, St. Cloud 45 for 145, a 31% power play clip, basically the best in the NCHC, one of the best in the country, actually. That kind of ran a little bit bone dry towards the end of the season. Yeah, um, Very good special teams-wise, PK-wise, though, 81.7% on 131 kills, only allowed 24 power play goals. Really actually good, That's good. on that side of things. Um, scoring wise, they average basically a goal more for per game overall and average 0.62 goals per game more in the conference. So actually some pretty good numbers, 3.59 to 3.5, uh, goals for per game. But I would imagine though, I mean, I I don't mean to interject here, but I imagine those weekends. Yes. Yeah. I, I bet you take those out of the picture. Those numbers don't look nearly as good. Certainly. But the other piece is, you know, giving up 2.62 goals against overall and 2.88 goals against in the conference. I mean, not the greatest, but not a, a terrible amount. You know, you're still staying around that too. They always say, if you can give up less than three, you give yourself a chance to win a hockey game. And 
the game that I'm talking about was the game the Huskies might have must have had about four or five power play chances, and Duluth was blocking shots left and right, and it felt like St. Cloud could not get a shot through. And there was a lot of frustration about how this power play that had been such a well-oiled machine suddenly could not find the back of the net. And, you know, they were generating chances. They were generating zone time. They are generating possession. They were doing a lot of those little things right. But the one thing that they were doing was overcomplicating the game. Like you Mm -hmm. had mentioned, they were forcing plays. They were trying to kind of create plays that weren't there. And one of the things that the team the year before, like you mentioned, was so good at is they kind of took what, what is given, you know, Nolan Walker flipping a puck 25 feet in the air, landing a Micah Miller stick in the slot after a battle on the boards in the NCAA. Just like they drew it up, right? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> just floating pucks toward the net. Uh, you know, Dave Shyat grease pan goals, just being willing to get back to simplifying the game. And we see that so much with so many teams that falter in the regular season of the playoffs or for what, you know, over the course of whatever it is, they make the game too difficult on themselves when they're a team that otherwise has a lot of skill. And when that happens, when it feels like the game is getting frustrating and you can't get things going, you go back to the basics. You simplify the game. North-South hockey, pucks in deep. The one thing you can control is not the bounces, but you can control how hard you move your feet, how hard you work, how tenacious you are on pucks. Are you winning battles in the corner? You know, are, are you do you have a better energy level than the other team? Then you establish zone time. That's step number two. After you establish zone time, before you start snapping it around and trying to create these beautiful cycle plays in the corner, are you generating shot lanes to the net? Are you creating second chance opportunities? Are you shooting the puck a lot? And the mm-hmm. shot statistics say, yes, this St. Cloud team shot a lot of pucks on net, but it didn't really translate to scoring sometimes. And yes. that's something that really kind of bit them in the end because like you said, the team before, they also, I feel like, put a fair number of pucks on net, but every puck had a purpose. It wasn't, we're right. trying to snap it around and go east to west and then to the bumper in the middle, and that's got to be the play. No, if you have a shot lane and you see it, grip it and rip it. I mean, right. you're a good hockey player, 50, 60, 70 feet from the net, pick a corner and let it rip. Sometimes I think hockey players need to be a little bit more selfish and take what's given. And St. Cloud, especially in that game, did a lot of little things right, but there were a couple of little things that really weren't that wrong. But for a team that is was as middling at times as St. Cloud was last year, they can be mm-hmm. the detrimental factor that turns your one goal game differential into a two and six record and why you're oh four and two and oh ten and two when trailing after one in period number two, because you get in your own head thinking yep. that you can't solve this puzzle. Or Ryan Fancy was living rent free in their heads too. I think <laughs> yeah. I mean and but it goes to your point because you know I, I I'm I'm starting to get that game back, you know, even to my memory too, um, and and clearly looking at the overpassing on the power play, yeah, um, and, and clearly looking at, you know, you could just see the, the not only the frustration, you could see almost the desperation of mm-hmm. them just trying to get a puck through, but instead it, it was kind of doing it blindly, you know, whereas they were shooting right into shin pads where Duluth was blocking those lanes, especially from the point. And instead of like you mentioned where maybe that puck goes to the half wall and, you know, and Duluth, you know, you got to get, first of all, we should say Duluth does it really, really good late in the season about getting into shooting lanes. They, they're really good defensively in their own zone. Uh, right. But some, but also it's more just like you said, not looking for those pretty NHL 22 goals, right? It was more just, if you have a lane, you're not trying to pick a corner. Sometimes just get it to the net. And then, as you mentioned, we've talked about this before, the Dave Shyak, uh, you know, uh, 
essentially coaching where you, you just get to the net, you drive to uh, the area in front of the blue paint, you look to either create chaos, you look to take away a goaltender's vision, or heck, you know, you end up with a loose puck and you bury it on the rebound. Um, you know, back in that game, you could definitely tell it was like trying to go back door to, like you said, to the bumper play. They wanted the for sure play. In their minds, like they wanted to yep. to move Ryan Fanti east west, but as we saw, a he's an athletic goaltender. He read the plays very well, um, and again, the duel of defense in front of him uh, really took away a lot of what they were trying to do to mo- make him move east west. So, um, and again, it, it goes to just as a player taking your hockey IQ, and again, just not overthinking it, like yep. just simplified as you mentioned try to get it puck through. And, and if you can't, well, don't, like you said, at some point you start forcing plays that aren't there. And that's where St. Cloud really shot themselves in the foot. And as you mentioned, that was kind of a microcosm of what ended up really hurting them down the road, which is they didn't really have this um, confidence to come back into hockey games. Right. And I believe it was February 22nd was the night. Um, that sounds right. Yeah. Which ironically enough uh, would happen to be the 41st, 42nd anniversary of miracle on ice. Um, February 22nd, 1980. There you go. Uh, Herb Brooks National Hockey Center. Ironic. Um, but beyond that, um, the only other stat that I had as far as the stat line goes, minus 1.19 uh, penalties and minutes per game by team less, um, 10.19 to 11.38. So actually not a highly penalized team, I think, as much as we wanted to make it. Um, they really weren't. Um, they really well, and well, I think the the key was, and we talked about this too, was it was sometimes the timing of their yeah. penalties, which was, uh, I think, a killer at some points, and then uh, more so, especially early in the season, some very un just you know not just untimely, but some sort of unneeded penalties too. Yeah. Yes, undisciplined, correct. Yep. Uh, so four graduates, seven seniors, eight juniors, four sophomores, and four freshmen for a crew of twenty seven last season for this group, um, and topping this list uh with a very good point production in fact statistically i believe would actually lead the north dakota fighting hawks that we covered last week in terms of points um he would definitely lead in goals here uh kevin fitzgerald in his graduate season what a year what he a, had what a year he had oh my wow. gosh considering um, too right you know real quick that he nearly hung up the skates yeah i um, mean he, on this show he said yeah. i'm not sure if i'll come back for another year and after talking to brett and it sounded like the the message was well Yes, you're going to do something other than hockey at some point, but if you got the opportunity to play and, and do it professionally, well, you only get yeah. a small window and, and he took it. And wow, what a year he had. Yeah. What the quote from Brett Larson, something like, you know, you'll look back and you'll say, gosh, I wish I would have played another year of hockey. You're not going to look back and say, gosh, I wish I would do another year of accounting. Uh, you right. know, yeah. <laughs> so which uh, totally true. Uh, 17 goals, 19 assists, 36 points and 37 contests for him last season, a 0.97 point per game clip, seven power play talks to go along with a plus 12 rating. Uh, phenomenal. What a great season. I just, and you know, he was a guy that, uh, you know, as his St. Cloud career progressed, just continued to get better. He didn't have these yep. lows where he went up and down. I mean, he it was a steady incline uh, in the way that he progressed as a player. Um, and just a great down-to-earth guy and uh, super funny. Um, lo- kind of the ultimate jokester and ultimate prankster in some oh, senses. Yes. So mm-hmm. um, uh, just ask Al Appleby. Uh, Yami Kranala, <laughs> uh, who was a junior last season, uh, 37 games played for him, uh, 0.81 points per game clip, uh, five power play goals and a plus six rating with 30 points in the season. Dead even, 15 goals, 15 assists. Uh, another player who has really uh, inclined steadily, yes. as has Zach Okabe uh, in that yep. same class as a junior. Kind of, again, I'm going to use line it. too. 
I'm going to use it, Nick. It's been a while since I've used the word. What word am I going to use? Any Buzzsaw. Idea? Buzzsaw, yes. Uh, I just, oh, I love the way he plays. Uh, 28 uh, points for him in 37 contests as well. 17 assists uh, tied for, I believe, second on the team, or excuse me, third on the team last year. Um, very good season for him. 0.76 points per game uh, clip. Easton Brodzinski in his graduate year was actually fourth on the team in scoring. One less point at 27. Uh, down year in terms of his goal scoring, but had 12 uh, goals last season, 15 assists, uh, one last game played and a 0.75 points per game clip plus two and four power play talks as well. A lot of power play talks in uh, this scoring group, um, which obviously mm-hmm. might be skewed a little bit by those games against Miami and St. Thomas, like we talked about, because there were a lot of power play goals. But I mean, you got to score. I mean, that's right. Yeah, and, that, and that's taking what is given. I mean, obviously, you know, blowout games, but you're taking what is given. Uh, Nolan Walker, Vietti Mietin, and Sam Henches round out this list as a senior, sophomore, and senior. 24, 23, and 22 points, respectively. Three power play goals, five and six tucks, respectively. Minus nine uh, rating for Nolan Walker, though. One of the few players to be minus, and he was, like, really minus. Yeah. Um, kind of interesting. I don't know if he was... They put him in a lot of defensive zone situations. I can't really remember um, why that would be the reasoning for that. But, I mean, it, like, especially as the four group was kind of an outlier there. So, odd. Yeah. Very um, odd. With that being said, Sam Henches was plus eight and had a 1.1 points per game clip, 22 points in 12 uh, in 20 games played, had the same number of goals uh, as Easton Brodzinski with 12 last season. Um, like I said, plus eight, Micah Miller uh, led with a uh, plus 18 rating. Um, yep. He's back this year. And then that Josh Lidke in his freshman year was plus 17. He was, uh, wow, was he good. Yeah. Um, I think he kind of took a little bit of the limelight away from Jack Peart, honestly, for just how well he played. And, you know, dare yeah. I say, when we kind of break down the roster, I've got a bold prediction uh, with Josh uh, Lidke uh, coming up for his sophomore season. OK, so you believe he's going to be the new Nick Perpers. We get it, man. We get it. We do. How'd you how'd you know? So- <laughs> uh, <laughs> because he, he had a great freshman year. And that's not to take anything away from uh, uh, Peart, as you had mentioned. It's just I, I Josh kind of excelled, especially in the second half more he than did. we anticipated. So let's, why don't we open that up right now? Sure. Um, so, cause we're going to talk about our top defenseman, uh, shocker, Nick Perbix, uh, in his senior season, 31 games for him, 31 points. Uh, that would be a points per game clip of one per game. <gasps> nice. Look at you go. Uh, yeah, wow. six tucks led the team with 25 apples, uh, a power play goal and a plus three, three rating. You know, and obviously logged a lot of heavy minutes, so that plus minus gets skewed by playing so many minutes. Josh Lidke, maybe a little bit more sheltered, um, but really mm-hmm. kind of turned into that second uh, power play unit quarterback, so to speak. He did, and really kind of took the reins from your eyes. I mean, you're high on the kid. What did you see over the course of the year that kind of allowed him to play with more confidence as the season went along? Just poise. He was very poised with the puck. And I think one of the things that he does that Jack Peart really doesn't do is he feels confident and poised to skate the puck out of the zone. Um, He's really good at assessing the situation, not panicking, not just trying to get the puck off his stick, but he's got the confidence and the ability to skate through either to get it to the red line make a good dump. Um, He can relieve pressure not only with the skates, uh, but also with the stick too. I just think that he's got a really good uh, vision for the ice and he's not a afraid um, nor feels like uh, he has to sit behind the net wait for a line change he feels like he can relieve pressure in multiple ways and didn't really ever feel like to me he was ever really under duress with the puck on his stick behind his own net 
while let's say in the rare occasion he was another player that had a really good season last year, uh, David Rennick in net for his yes. graduate season, uh, 2.26 goals against a 914 save percentage in just under 1800 minutes, three shutouts to go along with the 16, 11 and four record. Um, next close is of course, Jackson Castor playing in nine contests last year and Joey Lamaru a single appearance. So uh, notable player moves and graduating players. We had a, actually a lot of lot. Uh, player movement um, for St. Cloud this season. Uh, goaltender Joey Lamruin, he's ready for his senior season. He's headed to Anchorage. Uh, mm-hmm. For Thomas Rocco, who will be a senior this year, he's headed to SUNY Oswego in Division Three, which uh, seems like they get some pretty good crowds uh, out there, and they also have some pretty sick threads as well, too. So best of luck to him. Uh, and then Jack Johnson as well, heading Division Three uh, to Wisconsin-Eau Claire for his uh, junior season, I believe. Yes. Um, as far as players graduating, uh, David Rennick um, signed with the LA Kings. He was a graduate player last year. Kevin Fitzgerald and Seamus Donahue on the back end both signed with South Carolina in the ECHL and the Stingrays. Uh, Easton Brodzinski as a graduate to the New York Rangers. Um, he's with the Hartford Wolfpack right now in the AHL. Luke Jaycox was the only graduate who had yet to sign with anybody at this time of recording. Uh, and then, of course, Nick Perbix um, foregoing his graduate year eligibility to sign with the Tampa Bay Lightning organization heading to Syracuse. Syracuse, yeah. Um, other senior Nolan Walker signing with Toronto. He was with the Marlies organization right now. And then, of course, Sam Henches foregoing his uh, graduate year to sign with the Minnesota Wilds. So, um, yeah, that's something that I think a lot of people had their eyes on. Sam Henches really kind of had, I don't want to say a breakout year, but, but between going to the Olympics and then having, you know, the success that he had, you know, maybe he felt that the jump was time. Uh, notable players coming in, Nick, uh, graduate player uh, by the name of Grant Crookshank from Minnesota. Huge. Uh, defenseman Dylan Anhorn, who's a senior from Union. And then, of course, goaltender Dominic Bassey, junior from Colorado College. Players mm-hmm. staying, Spencer Meyer, uh, graduate defenseman. Michael Captain. Miller. Micah Miller. Yeah, that's actually we're going to cover that in our extra ice session for those who are curious about that. Um, Micah Miller, graduate forward, uh, graduate. Uh, they're, all, they're all graduates. <laughs> Aiden Spellacy and Brendan Bushy is going to stay as well. So um, this season's group, five graduate players, seven seniors, four juniors, three sophomores, eight freshmen for a crew of 27. Now. I say eight freshmen, Nick, and people are going to say, no, it's seven freshmen. Hold on. Everybody take a deep breath here. Uh, five freshmen on the forward end because Ryan Rosborough was actually a red shirt freshman. Mm-hmm. And we did it last week too with Caleb Johnson and net for North Dakota. So we're doing it again. So everybody take a deep breath in Huskies nation, 15 forwards, nine defensemen, three goaltenders, five freshman forwards, two freshman defensemen and a freshman net minder that actually, I don't think is getting as much love for some of the numbers that he has. Um, I think he's going to do pretty well coming in this season, but um Nick, is there anything you wanted to talk about the player moves? Actually, let's start with this. Normally, we jump into the freshman here. I want your thoughts on the transfers here because this is St. Cloud hockey. We're not talking about North Dakota. Sure. We're not talking about Western Michigan. Who's Grant Crookshank, if you've never heard of him, or his mom, for that matter? Uh, who's Dylan <laughs> Anhorn? And what's the deal with this goaltender that's a Tiger that's no longer a Tiger that somehow knows RJ Anga? Somehow knows him. Uh, so Dominic Bass, he's Chicago Blackhawks draft pick. Uh, he's six foot six. He's a big, big goaltender. Yeah. Um, you know, probably felt like there was an opportunity uh, here coming into uh, to St. Cloud and maybe earning the number one spot. Um, I would think that the uh, addition of Caden and Barico going to the Colorado College maybe felt like uh, 
maybe wasn't going to get the job. Yeah. Maybe I'm guessing. Um, I can't say for sure, but that's, uh, it, it's good to have a little competition as you mentioned, because there's still Jackson caster, um, yep. other goaltending draw. And then again, that freshman, uh, is it uh, James gray? It is James gray. Not the KVSC James gray. I was going to say, yeah, <laughs> not the KVSC, uh, general manager, but uh, James gray, the uh, Ontario junior hockey league product. So OJHL. Yeah. um, as you mentioned, easy to confuse the two surely very much so but as you mentioned uh, not getting as much praise for uh, i just think for the numbers that he had but we'll get into that a little bit yep. uh dylan anhorn again just under their veteran presence in the blue line which i think we'll talk about later is probably going to be the strength of this club this year and, um and family follows us on twitter let's not forget that nick i forget that uh <laughs> and then uh you mentioned up front grant Crookshank. uh you spent some time with some uh the golfers and then also with colorado college uh, he's been around as a graduate uh, um, is going to provide some needed depth down the middle um, yeah. that uh, and we'll address uh, maybe some tidbits about that as well. Yeah. Listener questions. Let's, let's ask this question too. I just want to go one more uh, Grant Crookshank question. Um, but what about this, Nick? He had a down year in Minnesota last year. What's the deal? Why is he bouncing around between teams? What do you have to say about that? You know, sometimes when you, you you change teams, right, you know, you think the pastures are green and then you get to it and you actually execute it. And then you realize maybe it just isn't a good fit. Um, I still th- think Grant Crookshank is, um, is a world-class player. I think that he was, I think, overshadowed by some of the high-end talent that's in Minnesota. Um, and I just think that also stylistically, I think he's going to pair better. Um, and the NCHC in terms of his style of play versus uh, uh, Bob Motzko and the youth system running in the University of Minnesota. Again, sometimes we see this in the NHL too, right? It doesn't matter. Sometimes you bring in a, a player. Um, dare, I, dare I use the Minnesota Wild example just to you know, you know, know, twist the knife a little bit? Um, how about the Marty Hansel, Ryan Jones trade? And who end up actually looking better, Ryan Jones? So, <laughs> yeah. um, but you know, seriously, just sometimes, you know, the play, it's not necessarily on the player, but sometimes just the system and the limits and, and, you know, just things that you just can't control end up not working out. And doesn't mean that he's not a bad player. It maybe just means the environment he was in, the opportunities he was given or maybe not given just weren't maybe up to, uh, it wasn't just a, a good fit. Well, let's talk about opportunities. Eight freshmen, of course, going to get their chance here. Nick, Mm -hmm. uh, like I said, five forwards, two defensemen, one goaltender. Where do you want to start? We'll start with the forward group because that has the most intrigue for me. All right. Uh, Well, some uh, kid from Savage, Minnesota, uh, 5'10", 150, left-handed, 2002, uh, Grant Ashan. Um, Mm -hmm. It's not Akon. It's not Akon. It is Ashan. Um, Yes. And... uh, yeah, well, part of the reason you might know that if you're a Huskies fan, uh, he is the younger brother of, of course, former St. Cloud State captain Jack Ashan, who is now with the Boston Bruins organization, mm-hmm. uh, joins the Huskies two seasons in junior hockey, played one year in the NHL and then one in the USHL. So 16 points and plus three in 45 games with the Bismarck Bobcats two years ago. Um, Bobcats uh, kind of a struggle bus of a team the past couple of years, although I uh, did better than the Minotauros last season. It's fine. Um, <laughs> and then uh, 25 points and 61 games for Cedar Rapids in the USHL last season. Um, mm-hmm. Before that, three seasons at Burnsville High School, uh, 25 goals, 43 assists, 68 points in 68 games, which Nick would be a points per game clip of one. Look at you go, man. We are nailing the math today. Um, wow. <laughs> keeping it simple, right? Um, but the math uh, math certainly doesn't lie. You know what's interesting, though? I, Grant does not look like his brother at all. No. Like, 
he just doesn't um except maybe on the ice um and again coming in a little bit undersized ish not as much as his brother was in terms of height but weight you know certainly we talked about that freshman discrepancy at being 150 pounds but he's a forward not a defenseman a different mm-hmm. game in the NCAA. we've discussed this a little bit how do you think that's going to translate not eye popping numbers coming from the ushl but certainly enough to be formidable you know i think if there's one thing grant ashan is going to help sure up and one of the things i think the huskies lineup was missing a little bit last year was some a little bit of toughness a little bit of physicality in their bottom six yeah. um as we know with uh jack ashan and then obviously is uh, another brother of wisconsin uh I'm trying to remember his name. Um, my goodness, I can't believe I'm forgetting this. But uh, oh, yeah, with uh, with yeah. Grandishon, I expect a little bit of that tenacity, a little bit of that feistiness. Um, you know, somebody that can go in and get his nose dirty. You know, actually, you know, sort of work pucks out of the corners, maybe take a little bit of beating in front of the net, and just not be afraid to to go in and, and do battle. And I think, yeah. uh, you know, as you mentioned, eye popping numbers. But as we talked about with the Huskies national championship, when we again we go back to um, that fourth line. And how they not necessarily had the offensive numbers, but they played a much more important role in terms of keeping the opposing uh, team's numbers down too. And I think Grant Ashan, at least initially, is going to look into something like a third line role, maybe a fourth line role to get him started, uh, but yeah. definitely be more of a shutdown type role. And I think he's got um, all the tools to make that happen, especially with his. Uh, he's got a. He plays with an edge. We'll put it to you that way. Yeah, Roman Ashan was the other one Roman, that you were yes, thinking of, yes. um, for Wisconsin, by the way. But, uh, you know, Grand Ashan kind of reminds me of maybe um, a comparable, maybe me like Mason Solquist coming in last season has a little bit yeah. of that tenacity, not the biggest guy in the world, but certainly I think uh, Mason is maybe a little bit stockier uh, than yep. Grant is. Um, but beyond that, I mean, you know, sacrifice, uh, you know, one thing for another. I think they'll be a really good fit, you know. So I'm just nice to have a bottom six guy who is a little water bug who you can um, maybe another thought too is like, Remember when we were there in our first year when Yami Cranola was a freshman, which is a scary phrase to say because now he's a senior. Um, He was kind of that way where they put him on the third line and he they just put him on the wing and he just kind of went and went and went. And he's not the biggest guy and definitely wasn't, you know, when he was a freshman, but he was able to just kind of be that third forward high and establish a little bit more fleet of foot, a little bit more nimble play with two guys that could really bang some bodies, you know? And at times, too, he was the F1, and he. And the, this is what I like about Yami, not to get too sidetracked, but there yeah. are times, too, Noah, that he was the guy banging bodies, too, yeah. on that line. I mean, that's the thing, is you have to commit to that identity of that line and, and to that forecheck, and regardless of where he was, F1, 2, or 3, he could be you know kind of a utilitarian player in that role but it wasn't afraid that even though he was going up against guys that were you know on stature wise much bigger he still went in you know laid a little bit of physical contact and uh at the end of the day you know sometimes you just need to create a half second delay and the, and then your uh, your line partners come in and maybe swoop up a loose puck and i certainly think he's going to be okay nick because the other seven people on this list are the the shortest um listed height six for six them one. is 6 foot 1 mm-hmm. so i think it'll do it'll be all right as far as the rest of the true freshmen uh, number 17 ethan acoin from calgary alberta 61 yes. 170 the left-handed 2002 uh, 36 goals, 27 apples, 63 points for Lloyd Minister in the AJHL, mm-hmm. um, which was good for fifth in terms of league scoring yes, um, in was. terms of goals. And his total points were 15th uh, in the league as well. Um, and then really last year was kind of his first full season. I mean, you had the pandemic before, which really limited things up in Canada. Um, before that, uh, played for Calgary um, in AAA, 29 goals and 38 games for him. So um, he's a guy that, 
again, offers that intrigue as we talked about the AJHL, which has kind of become a plucking ground a little bit more, not only for college hockey, but especially for St. Cloud State and their willingness to go to some of these leagues here. Um, I would say probably one of the more intriguing names on here as far as statistics compared to league, compared to translation to the NCHC level. 100%. Um, There's a lot of expectations for this young kid, um, but I also feel like it's more dynamic in terms of where he could eventually translate, right? He could be that pure goal scorer, but then again, you know, how does he make that transition? You know, we've seen whether it's freshmen or transfers come in and they they're in a different league or uh, you know, they're coming from a different junior program and they just, those same numbers don't translate. Right. And I'm not, predicting that i'm certainly not making any sort of like downgrading ethan coins uh talent because clearly the talent's there if you're fifth in the league in scoring um in the aghl which as we've talked about in previous episodes has become ripe in terms of producing not only talent for the nchc but for the ncaa as a whole i mean they've really become um a, a breeding ground for uh for a lot of ncaa scouts so i think that uh he is going to be sort of like the the bigger unknowns to watch but i'll mm-hmm. tell you what if it does come together for him watch out because it does seem like he's got a rocket of a shot. He can place it where he wants and uh, he's got the skill and the speed to go with it. You know, another curious one too, we don't talk about the MGHL uh, a fair amount. Um, the Steinbach Pistons of course are there. Um, Rogers, and, yep. Yeah. I have a couple of friends who uh, played for Steinbach as well. And uh, also the Elmira junior enforcers, the USPHL, which is another league that is an interesting selection for trying to evaluate player talent here. So this is, the most intriguing from a raw perspective, raw talent type piece, Jack Rogers, like you mentioned, East Northport, New York, 6'1", 190, right-handed 2002, um, had 18 goals, 29 assists, 47 points in 39 games for Elmira, and then 67 points in 54 games with Steinbach to go along with 30 goals during that time. And then in 18 playoff games, he had four points and nine uh, assists, four goals, excuse me, and nine assists for 13 points for the Pistons. So he is someone who... Again, obviously the MJ a little bit more well known as far as looking at you know college talent. The USPHL is uh, a smorgasbord of players to, to yes. say the least. It's it, there's some guys that have come out of there, but you know it's just it, it's just it's an interesting dynamic to kind of try to describe to people. Um, actually, of, I actually have a little bit to say on that too. Yeah. So when I was out in Allentown, I sat next to uh, Russ Cohen. Uh, for those who don't know, he's uh, AK Sportsology on Twitter. He's actually a, 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 essentially a scout. Um, he, uh, he does more of the broadcasting he is on uh, NHL Sirius XM radio and his primary like big thing is he, he likes to scout the individuals. He, he's a good talent identifier. And we were going through um, uh, just even the players that were watching these. It was a uh, Michigan and AIC. And then of course, St. Cloud and Quinnipiac when we were out there um, had the chance to talk to him for multiple hours, just a wonderful hockey brain to pick. If, uh, if you ever met one that really gets down to the individual skill set. Uh, but one thing he did say about the MJHL was like you mentioned that the overall league in terms of like where you rank it, not very high. Uh, so what his curiosity take was, you know, if you have a guy with say Jack Rogers, and again, I'm not trying to diminish Jack Rogers, but anything, but he's like the level of competition, the parody is just not quite there. So as you mentioned, this, you know, besides Ethan Ocoin, I think Ethan Ocoin would be, you know, higher on the list in terms of expectations for Huskies fandom. But right. Jack Rogers could be one that really could be the most curious case because again, you don't score these kind of points by accident. But you do wonder if the 
lack of parity in the league and you know maybe some of these it, apparently from what Russ tells me the MJHL there's a lot of blowouts um, there's just a lot of just not of uh, a team that you play where you, you have your couple high end teams and everything else is steps below right. so you kind of you're kind of his question was how uh, I guess how seasoned is Jack to play good competition night in and night yeah. out and that might affect uh, his development or maybe his translation to NCAA Division One. And that's where, you know, you trust on the scouting process. You trust Brett Larson. Right. You t- you trust at the time, which would be Nick Oliver. And then, of course, Dave Shyak, you know, as well as, you know, mm-hmm. RJ Anga and, you know, guys that are looking at this uh, and, and to give you kind of more of that judgment. Is he a guy that, you know, maybe similar to Ryan Rosborough, maybe, you know, m- just kind of gets acclimated to the division one game. And then you see how he transitions from there, or is he going to jump right in, you know, and develop a lot quicker than we expect? You know, Mm -hmm. he's he's a big question mark that we just don't know mostly because I mean, we haven't seen him play. Um, I haven't gotten to see any footage. So, you know, but again, six one one ninety. That's a division one build. Yes, that's, a, that's a big kid. So if you can get the skill set and the hockey IQ to ramp itself up, and we talked with Jack Peart when he came on the show last year about it, and he, he was talking about how the biggest thing is getting acclimated, getting used to the speed, especially you know on the defensive side. Of course, Jack is a forward, but um, uh, Jack Rogers, I should say, not Jack Peart. Um, but he talked about Jack Peart did on the defensive side. And how you have to be able to slow your brain down for that extra second or two to make the play that you need to be able to make. So it'll be interesting, um, but certainly having some size certainly helps. Uh, Number 34, Adam Ingram, a forward from West St. Paul, Manitoba. Uh, Six foot one, 175, the left-handed 2003, was with the Youngstown Phantoms in the USHL last season, had 55 points. Yeah, plus 10, Mark. Um. Of course, they went to the playoffs as well. 26 goals was good for 18th in the league um, and 24th uh, best points in the USHL last season. Um, 16th in the league in eight power play goals and 16 power play assists, which was tied for 17th in the league. So all top 25 numbers among the USHL rankings in those respective categories. Nashville third overall selection at 82 in this past summer's draft. Um, and he was the 69th Husky to be selected since the NHL draft started in 1986. So um, certainly the most easy to evaluate based on what we know about the USHL in terms of, you know, Development. what we, what yeah. we could say on paper. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe the more uh, highly touted guy uh, because of that reason. Um if you're a Huskies fan and you want to buy into that, because obviously everybody's got to earn it, um, what are the positives here that makes him a potential mainstay in the lineup right out of the gate? Well, first of all, a size um, that that's big, and then again, you don't get a, you know picked in the third round unless you really do feel like someone is uh, not only you you can't say a complete player, but it's got you know, maybe multiple boxes checked that say he's a complete player and is maybe just missing one or two things. Um, right. You know, like I said, this kid has a natural release. Again, he's a pure, he's a gifted goal scorer. Uh, we can see that. And at the USHL level, again, for folks who uh, maybe aren't as akin to hockey junior leagues, this is the best junior league in, you know, the U.S. And when you're the top 20, essentially top 15 in scoring, that's that's no small feat by any stretch of the imagination. So right. uh, he's, uh, again, I, I think he's going to be the guy that, you, you know, and, and one of the big question marks um, that Huskies uh, and the team faces is how do you replace a lot of the offense that you lost? This could be the answer, at least one of them that I do think that as far as, you know, a freshman coming in in terms of probably for a few years, uh, it, it certainly sounds like Adam Ingram is probably the most complete forward that they've had in probably 
dare we say Brett Larson's recruiting era? Yeah, I think that's accurate. I, I, yeah. I would pen it as. Yeah, com- completeness for sure. I think the the best freshman performance that maybe we've seen in the Brett Larson era was probably Vietti Mietnin two years ago. But we've talked a little bit about the deficiencies in his game. So as far as yes. someone who maybe becomes a little bit more well-rounded, we'll have to see. One would hope so. That'd be amazing. Right. And, and granted, uh, Vietti is sixth round pick at Toronto. Um, and again, even when we watched uh, him play his freshman year, we had concerns about, you know, just some, like you mentioned, the more of just like the board battles. Uh, what's to say it is physicality and is, uh, dare I say, engagement into the yeah. physical side of the game. I, I think clearly, and I don't know if it's just maybe the type of player that he was, it almost seems like he shied away from that. Um, yeah. And it's not that we were the ones to say this, but definitely can. It, I think it definitely hurt his game because you could certainly see when teams defended him last year, they were really closing the gap on him. They really were trying to make him play essentially along the wall. They didn't want him to have this open ice anywhere. And of uh, her Vietti, again, if you want him to get back to having that scoring touch, I think that's an area of his game that's got to develop. And from everything we know, Adam Ingram already has that in his game. And so, uh, you know, you could be, you know, dare I say, have a, He's got the potential to have a, yep. a better freshman output than Vietti had two years ago. Should be interesting. The last forward on this list is our redshirt freshman, the 2000 Mountain Bridges, Ontario native, 6'3", 190. Ryan Rosborough on the forward side, of course, uh, really didn't get an actual... Um, he got he, close. Yeah, he was supposed he got to. got close. He was yes. supposed to, and then he, he never did. But the Markham Royals in the OJHL uh, for a couple of years, and then the Boston Junior Bruins in the NCDC before last season, as well as the South Shore Kings, uh, had 29 points in 37 games the season prior with the Bruins and Kings, and then had 23 goals and 45 assists in 109 games for the Royals in those couple of years prior. So, uh, Nick, we talked about him a little bit last year. He's a centerman, big body. Yes. Um, someone who is certainly learning to develop. Uh, Brett Larson from the conversations we've had sounds a little high on him uh, as far mm-hmm. as what he believes uh, he can translate. And that, you know, again, great size, six, three, one ninety, especially um, for down the middle. Again, I think it's just that translation of scale and being able to crack the lineup here. We got, an, like I said, we got an inkling of who he might be as a player. What do you moreover think the conversation was from Brett Larson, Dave Shyak over the summer for him? Uh, you know, because, Again, not to say he can't get bigger, stronger, faster, but again, pretty good build already. Uh, what do you tell someone who maybe ha- hasn't really had a chance to really crack that lineup? And it more goes down to the skill set, the hockey IQ, you know, all those little things that, you know, are going to get you to that next level in the lineup. I think for Ryan, there was a couple of things that, you know, almost got him in the lineup. And it was uh, just some hockey IQ things from uh, the bottom six. It was also the faceoffs dots were not great for St. Cloud last right. year. Um, but also one big thing for Ryan is when we've seen him in practice, uh, not the most fleet of foot. Um, and, and again, yeah. you talk about the speed. I mean, we mentioned Jack Peer, right? Uh, it, 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 it's so easy for us as fans and even you know, us in the media side, when we watch it from the broadcast angle, it, it, it looks fast, but then you get an ice level. Holy cow. It's just, it's yeah. a different animal. I, I truly wish that, you know, there was a way, oh, that's right. ESPN did that like board camera couple like oh, a while ice. back was on like the yeah. ice cam, um, you know, just to show you truly how fast this is going. And it's to the hockey IQ, right? Which is you have to make your decisions quicker, which means your eyes have to be up. And for, for Ryan Rosbo, just seemed to be like a couple of those pieces were missing. Um, I, I think the coach's omen, right? Uh, Noah is that, 
put, put, you know, put me in a position where if I put you in lineup that I can't take you out of the lineup. Um, that's really what it comes down to for Ryan. Um, again, it just, it felt like he was close, but never really had the push needed to take somebody else out of the lineup. Um, right. I think he'll get a better chance this season. Again, there's a lot of freshmen in this group, um, granted with all the upperclassmen here. So he'll have a chance to earn his spot. But again, you have to be able to earn it and keep that spot away from somebody else. Um, hopefully with Brett Larson, we know that this is uh, how he rolls his practices, that um, he's going to create it uh, as a competition for everybody and we'll to see how how he does. But again, uh, that that position he plays is super important for this year's uh, group. The, the, the depth down the middle, we'll talk about that shortly, I would imagine. But uh, So he's got every opportunity to do it. The question is, has he worked and gotten some of those key areas that Brett Larson wanted him a better to be able to earn himself a position on the lineup here in the next couple of weeks. Should be interesting. We'll have to see as we've got three players left here, two defensemen and a net miner. Let's pair the defensemen together because, hey, they were teammates last season, Nick. How about that? Uh, yeah, two seasons with the Waterloo Blackhawks for Cooper Wiley on defense. Stillwater, Minnesota native, 6'1", 190, a left-handed shot, the 2001. Eight goals, 37 assists for 45 points in 99 games uh, as a defenseman in the USHL. Not, Not too shabby. Um, no. Six goals and 21 assists for 27 points this past season. Um, of course, played for Stillwater for three years, 17 goals, 42 assists, 59 points in 71 games. Um, and I was wondering, I'm very curious. I was like, is he related to St former St. Cloud State women's defenseman Kenzie Wiley, who, of course, was a captain? I don't think they're related, but I will say Kenzie Wiley is from Ham Lake, Minnesota, which is like a 44 minute drive from Stillwater. So not to say they couldn't be related in some capacity, but I did not find anything. They don't look even remotely similar. So um, maybe just the same last name, but you never know. Um, on the other side, um, Mason Rainier's, uh the Edina, Minnesota, 6'1", 195, right-handed 2001. Nick, you look at his profile photo, mm -hmm. and I got to be honest, <laughs> he looks so much like an Edina kid for the one simple fact <laughs> That you can tell he's really good at hockey. He spent four seasons oh, in the Waterloo right? Blackhawks of the USHL, 42 points in 145 games. Uh, past season, uh, had four goals, 10 assists, 14 points, and led the team to the playoffs. Um, before that, three seasons with the Hornets, uh, 2019 AA state title, and third place in 2018. So this defensive core profile pictures are otherwise good-looking guy. I mean, you got to give that to him. Certainly looks sharp in the suit, for sure. Are you pulling up the photo right now just to see? No, I remember seeing oh. uh, No, I remember seeing that one. That was, was pretty good. So. What, what do you think I was going to say, Nick? Uh, you know what? Some days I, I, I just – what you prepare for is just not what ends up coming out of your mouth. So I just have to prepare for everything, honestly. Uh, so so these these two guys in the backhand certainly know, do know how to play hockey here. Uh, teammates mm -hmm. as well, which certainly helps. Maybe they're a defensive pairing in the future. One of the things that's interesting about this team, by the way, side note, uh, nine defensemen, one more than what yeah. you normally would see carrying. It's actually probably better to be a forward than a defenseman this year if you're a St. Cloud Husky. How yep. do these two guys uh, give themselves a chance to crack the lineup here? Well, I think, you know, if we saw this with a couple of defensemen last year, right? We saw it with uh, Andre Trayball being in another lineup, uh, Brandon Bushy also being in another lineup. Uh, there's no question Brett Larson places a... a, a, a a high standard on his defensive team. He knows that North South hockey starts with the defensive. Uh, you got to be able to move the puck, make smart decisions, use your feet, uh, you know, be in the right lanes, uh, help clear in front of your own net. And also if you can, um, I think if they're going to earn a spot in the lineup, um, how about this? Add a little bit of offense in the blue line. Uh, yeah. You know, you take away Nick Perbix, uh last season, not a lot 
uh, as far as offense coming from the blue line. Uh, right. I know that Lidke did a little bit. Yeah, Spencer and, Meyer had the next most points with 18 last season. So it, it, you talk about, I think if there's one really big difference from last season, meaning well, I should say this two seasons ago from the national championship run to uh, this last season, the offensive production from the blue line really, really, really was hurting. Um, and if you can have uh, a guy like Rod Rainers, who appears to have a pretty good, um, offensive inkling, at least from his junior years, uh, and then Cooper Wiley as well. Um, and as you mentioned, and I think this is going to go underrated for a lot of hockey fans, but if you're a pairing that's played together for a while, um, don't, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. If you're Brett Larson, I mean, you're not going to yeah. switch him up, but dare I say, if they are a, a pairing there, um, you give them a, I think you give them a look at least, and then if they can at least handle their own, uh, go from there, they probably get paired with a, with a senior if they make the squad, but there's a lot of competition uh, in this blue line. Uh, and it's going to be a, it's going to be a rough go because uh, uh, we'll say this. If you've got now nine defensemen, uh, if you've got a, a bad night, um, chances are that it's going to make the decision for Brett Larson a little bit easier to try to switch a guy in versus maybe in the past. Uh, Cause you've got that extra two defensemen that are going to be um, on the press box most nights. Yeah. Maybe in the extra ice session next week, maybe we'll talk a little bit about the depth chart for St. Cloud state. Maybe yeah. that might be kind of a fun little thing to talk about as uh, we'll be less than a week away from hockey uh, at that particular point for the college hockey world. Uh, last player to talk about James gray, the goaltender from uh, Toronto, Ontario in the six up there, six two one ninety. Uh, regular catching netminder of 2002 uh, OJHL goaltender of the year last season. I, uh, played for the North York Rangers. That's not the New York Rangers, the North York Rangers um, led the league in wins with 25 save percentage with a nine, three, one and goals against with a one ninety six in 36 games was two and two with a nine, three, four and a one nine, one in the playoffs as well. Um, before that played for the U 18 team that won the TELUS cup, basically the Canadian national championship um, MVP that season after a nine, four save percentage and a one, six, eight goals against. So, um, mm-hmm. decent size, not the biggest goal in the world, but six, two is certainly no slouch, uh, in terms of, all. um, literally and figuratively, um, you know, he's a guy that as we look at what Jackson Castor has brought to the table, Dominic Bassey is, you know, a, a question mark here is, is he going to be true to form and continue to develop and incline? I don't know, man. Uh, especially, you know, like I said, Jackson Castor entering his senior season. I mean, maybe a backup right now, but I think if those numbers have any potential of translating, I mean, goaltending is a unique position where it doesn't really sometimes come down to statistics per se. It comes down uh-huh. to more of the mental side of things. And can you physically track how athletic are you? It's a much yep. different mindset of evaluation here. I like the kid and I don't know. I think he's going to push a lot harder in training camp and give some of these veteran guys a little bit more of a, uh, a nudge that I think a lot of people might anticipate. I think so. And again, those numbers, I mean, they're over a, a large sample size, you know, that's not like it's 15 or 16 games. I mean, a sub two goals against and a over uh, an over nine two uh, save percentage, you know, those don't happen by accident over a course of a 30 plus game stretch. Right. right. Um, now granted, you know, the was the, and this is where I have to play, the you know adversary you know yeah. was the uh, was he the beneficiary of a good system in front of him um you know we, we've seen that with goaltenders too right where yep. uh i mean heck let's take darcy kemper i've said this before right he didn't have to be 
a rock star. And in a perfect world, um, that's what you want your goaltenders to be is to, to make the stops you need to and don't have to stand on your head, right? Um, yeah. Unless you're UMD and every goaltender you seem to find always stands in your head and extends your season <laughs> enough to get you a couple <laughs> national championships. Anyway, but I digress. Hey, it's a formula that works apparently. So, um, but you know, you don't say. You don't say, but as you mentioned, you know, for goaltending, it's, it's a lot of it. It's not what you do, it's what you don't do. Right. It's, it's, are you, are you, are you not overplaying the puck? Are you, uh, what's, what you not giving the opposing team, meaning uh, not giving them second and third chance opportunities. How good is your rebound control? Are you overplaying pucks? Are, are you a, uh, a type of goal that likes to play the puck behind the net? And if you do, is it just a simple play where you're trying to, you know, mimic Martin Brodeur or Mark under Fleury and maybe there's, uh, you know, you make it a little bit more entertaining than it maybe should be. So um, it's going to be interesting. And if, if you're St. Cloud fans, a great problem to have. If you've got three capable yep. goaltenders, we saw what can happen. Ask Western Michigan two years ago uh, what can happen when your goaltending depth isn't there, how it can derail your entire season if one goes down. Um, if they push each other, again, goaltenders, uh, they're a different breed of people. Um, you're putting on pads to, sh- to stop 90 to 100 mile an hour, you know, vulcanized driver coming at you. No thanks. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it, it's a tight knit, you know, little community. And so, no question if they're that high a caliber. Only the team benefits from that because it means they're going to push each other to be better. They'll give each other those scouting notes. Uh, you know, it's it's going to be beneficial for everybody. So if he does push even better, uh, because again, Jackson Castor in his senior year, Dominic Bay senior's junior year, James Gray's a freshman. So if anything, um, he's going to pick up and learn. You know, it, yep. let's just say he is on the depth chart as number two or number three. Great way to learn, way to get acclimated to Division One level and. Hey, you never know, right? Maybe someone does go down and get injured and he's got to get put into a game. Either way, those numbers look good. And I'm excited to see what he can do here with the Huskies. And the thing last year too, and again, we've talked about it at nauseum, so I don't think it's Jackson's fault per se, but the game against Quinnipiac maybe highlights the need. We might start to see for the first time in the Brett Larson St. Cloud area where we'll see a, a you know a lot more rotation maybe between right. some goaltenders than we've seen in a couple of years previous. So um should be interesting. The St. Cloud State Huskies coming off their fourth NCAA tournament appearance in the last five seasons uh, mm-hmm. and 16th overall last season as well. Their schedule, and then we'll get to some fan questions here. You're going to get your money's work. This is going to be a nice, lengthy show for some St. Cloud hockey here. Uh, October 1st and 2nd versus St. Thomas. First game at the Excellent Energy Center in St. Paul before St. Cloud uh, the previous um, year. So, uh, or previous next yep. game. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, October 14th and 15th, the Huskies actually have a week off before traveling to Wisconsin. Then at home against Mankato, October 21st and 22nd. And then the 28th and 29th, um, they are in Bemidji at the Sanford Center and then at home that Saturday night. Uh, And CHC action starts off uh, November 4th and 5th, their first opponent. They are traveling to face the defending national champion, Denver Pioneers. um, Yikes. (laughs) Before coming back home to face Western Michigan Broncos 18th and 19th sees them travel to Ed ropes and arena in Colorado college before December 2nd and 3rd versus North Dakota. So they do of course have that Thanksgiving weekend off. Uh, and then the 9th and 10th of December, pretty prototypical um, heading to Miami before the Christmas break uh, second half of the season, December 30th, they have an exhibition game opening up against Ma- uh, Manitoba. North Dakota has them to open up the season. So there's your comparable there. And then of course they'll play the fighting Hawks. The Huskies will uh, in the early parts of December. January 7th and 8th, you were wondering about the old WCHA rivalries. Did it feel like one was missing? Well, here you go. Yes, uh, it was. <laughs> at, at home and then on the road, Friday, Saturday, uh, the Minnesota Golden Gophers, January 7th and 8th. 
13th and 14th at home against the Colorado College Tigers, um, and then at home again versus Denver. So a nice little stretch there um, for the Huskies, and then traveling up to Amsoil Arena in Duluth, January 27th and 28th. February 34th, they're at home against Miami before traveling. Actually, they have a week off, and then they travel February 17th and 18th to Grand Forks, uh, Ralph Ingleset Arena, North Dakota. Traveling to Omaha the following weekend, the only time they see the Mavericks on the docket this upcoming season. And then March 3rd and 4th, they are at home to close out the season against the Bulldogs. So everybody but the Mavericks and the Western Michigan Broncos, uh, the Huskies will see twice next season. And then, of course, uh, the quarterfinals, March 10th through the 12th, followed by the Frozen Faceoff, March 17th and 18th. NCAA is the 23rd through the 25th, and then the Frozen Four in early April. So, Nick, from, let's get some Tampa. Yeah, let oh, Emily God. Arena. Let's get yes. let's get to some uh, fan questions here. Why mm-hmm. don't we? Um, let's start with uh, Weldy at More Clappers, uh, and this goes back to your Grant Crookshank question. We have uh, probably maybe ten to twelve questions that might be linked here and there, so we'll see. Uh, let's start with number one. Is there a concern for the lack of depth at center? And I tweeted back: the Minnesota Wild have entered the chat. Um, uh, the answer is short term is yes. Yeah. But Short the question, yes. but the question is, are guys like Grant Kirkshank, are guys like Ryan Rosborough, you know, Mason Salquist, you know, if he can find a way to play down the middle, um, is there? Do you think there will be a concern by the time we hit NCHC action time? There could be. I mean, because here's the thing, right? Is you know, the biggest thing with centers is not only your defensive responsibility, but also your faceoffs. I mean, puck possession in today's game is crucial. And, you know, thank goodness for a guy like Grant Crookshank to come in uh, and to provide at least a little bit of veteran leadership in that particular aspect. Um, but again, you, you still got Salkwas as a sophomore who, uh, by most center standards, is a bit undersized. Um, Rosbro has got the size, but some other parts of his game uh, still might be missing. So I do think there's a legitimate concern early on for the center depth, no question. But again, there's still a lot of unknowns. We haven't seen Ryan Rose will play a single bit. Um, Grant Kirkshank, we know what he has been um, in different forms of what's he going to be like under Brett Larson and St. Cloud State. I still think like he's right at the moment, the top first line center. And then for some other guys, like we've seen Yami Cranola play center uh, from time to time, right? Could he be, you know, moved into a role or maybe he's the center? Uh, we don't know. But no question, the loss of Nolan Walker is really, really going to hurt. He was really good in the faceoff dot, uh, really good at being uh, the F3, uh, not only on the offensive, but also defensively too, was really, really solid. So um, I do think that if there is one spot, the forward group that is one to watch, the center group is going to be the one that's going to have to uh, build confidence and, and to build some cohesion early or else uh, that's going to be a rough ride for the Huskies. So next question comes from Derek Johnson at Deidre4 um, and also asked by Johnny Mack and Derek Felsko. Which freshman's going to surprise this year, Nick? Ooh, which one's going to surprise? So when you say surprise, right, we're talking, you know, yeah. some guy that maybe isn't projected to surprise. Um, I think, honestly, the the big name, and we said this before, but to me, it's it's Ethan O'Coin. I really do feel like he, he has the skill set. I feel like that he's kind of been under the radar a little bit in terms of his skill set. Again, the AJHL uh, becoming a plucking ground for higher end talent uh, to go to the NCAAs. I too think that Ethan O'Coin is going to be that guy that uh, surprises at least the bigger hockey world um, rather than here, maybe in St. Cloud state land. But I think he's going to be the one that says, Holy cow, who is this guy? And uh, my goodness, is he, uh, he's doing pretty well. Don't you say? Yeah. My take, uh, how about a, we want a hot take. You want one? 
What do we, when do we, I not want one? Yeah. This is the Huskies Warmer House podcast. This is what we do. All right. Well, I mean, it's no 7th Avenue pizza, but we'll give it our best shot here. Are you going to uh, say James Gray? I am going to say James Gray, and I'm going to say that he gets an NCHC start this season. Oh, you know what? It's possible. You know? I think so. I really think, you know, and I'm not saying it's going to be against North Dakota, but I think maybe if Miami, for example, really struggles this season, I think he gets a look. I really do. I really That's do. Fair. So I think That's he's fair. going to be the guy. I, I don't know. I just, I, I obviously numbers speak for themselves, but you know, goaltenders are just a different case. And I feel like he's someone that really has a chance to maybe make a jump quickly, especially with two veteran guys in front of him that are going to help him along in that respect. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I just, I, I have a good feeling about it. I really do. And uh, yeah, that sounded like hockey analytic wisdom, didn't it? Yeah. It um, did. <laughs> <laughs> Derek uh, uh, Felska also wanted to know, um, even with Jack Peart back for his sophomore year, how much will the Huskies mix and miss Elk Rivers, Nick Perbix? I have actually a hot take on this one. I don't yeah. think they're going to miss him as much. And here's why it's not because you're missing Nick Perbix. But I think Josh Lidke proved because Josh Lidke has a lot of the same tendencies in game that Nick Perbix did. Yeah. Um, I think that he's only going to get better. He really, like you said, second half, my goodness, uh, he became more of an appreciative player on the Huskies blue line. I do think he's going to earn top line minutes this year. Yeah. Um, I'm going to go with that. So I think that while you're you're sad of Nick Perbix and him moving on into his professional career, you know, obviously all the best to Nick Perbix and, and what a career he had for the St. Claude State Huskies. Um, I do think that Josh Litty is going to pick up the, the proverbial work per se, and I don't think you're going to see as much of a drop back uh, than maybe people expect. So uh, surely you can't replace Nick Perbix, but you've got a pretty close comparable uh, with Josh Litty in his sophomore season. That's going to be your hopefully for the next couple of seasons. And like I said, he looked Cool and comfortable in his freshman year. I only expect that to get better. Yeah. And people always ask, you know, what made Nick Perbix so good? And it really was the fact that he was a great first pass defenseman, but also really good at carrying the puck on his own. Really good at recognizing Mm -hmm. when to jump up in the play, when not. Usually made a really good, smart decision. And as you talked about a lot with Brett Larson over the previous couple of years, his defensive game got really strong. You know, the way that he's able to use his stick, the way that he's able to angle guys towards the boards, things like that. The other piece of this, too. The other player I mentioned was Jack Peart, and I know that you know we've been talking about Josh Lidke and the growth that he has. Remember, jo- uh, Jack Peart's also only a sophomore, and by no means had a bad season last year. Sure, you know, I think maybe just didn't take the jump that we had expected. That's or you know, hoped, not, maybe yeah, that's a better word. Yeah. yeah, that's not to say that he can't come back in his sophomore season and find that poise and become one of those guys. Because you imagine if Josh Lidke and Jack Peart take off together this season, how dynamic of a Nasty. duo that could be. So I, I, I'm still really high on Jack, too. Again, you know, freshman year is kind of a, an interesting piece where, again, we look at guys like, you know, Yami Crandall a little bit. Zach Okabe is a really good example in the forward side. Took him a little bit to warm up and acclimate, but once they did, they were off and rolling and they haven't looked back. I think Jack was going to be another one of those guys. And I think that there is, for being a second-round draft pick, for better or for worse, and being so Minnesota-connected with all of that, where he's from, Minister Hockey. Wild. Yeah, exactly. It's easy not to let that, not to say to let that pressure get to you, but there's that extra added piece of feeling like you want to perform at your best. I think he's going to be just fine. And I think he takes a huge jump. Someone asked, you know, which freshman will surprise? I think the sophomore that's going to surprise this year is Jack Peart. I think that 
he's going to take a significant jump this season. I agree. And, and just to quickly finish off that point, uh, remember, you know, he was on the world junior roster. So, I mean, you, you, again, you, you earn a spot because of your ability. Um, he's built, you know, like a tank, you know, you talk about yeah. Mike and Miller on the front end. Uh, Jack Pierre is a tank on the back end. Uh, and again, as you mentioned, you know, I think just the, not necessarily the pressure per se, but just when you have all the Minnesota ties and the second round pick, I think, you know, the bar for him was, unrealistic to reach you know i think everybody was expecting like almost to be like a vegas golden knight stanley cup final type talent when probably a bit of an unfair bar from the set anyway um yeah. and he still improved right there was a bit of some some rough patches but he was a true freshman i mean he's only 18 now 19 years of age so uh at the end of the day jack a uh, still young player um still has a lot of intangibles that you don't normally find in a defenseman of, of you know just around on the street so i agree with you i think he's going to make a big jump what <laughs> go you ahead know. Round on the street. Yeah. Well, well, you know, most, well, most people can't skate. Well, maybe in Minnesota they can, but right. But you know, <laughs> to, to the point as I terribly worded, apparently uh, to Noah Grant is, you know, you, you know, know, you know, Jack, your hockey skills are something you just don't find on the street. Oh, okay. no. You know, again, he's, he's a complete package player. Uh, again, I think he learned quite a bit. Um, not only throughout the season, but also then going back to Will Juniors, he's getting the best competition. He's learning, he's growing, and I can't wait to see some of the adjustments and some of the things he might do differently in a sophomore season, because I agree with you, he'll make a big jump this season. Well, talking about veteran street smarts, um, Derek also wants to know, which transfer player will have the biggest impact this year? Can I say all of them? Yeah, honestly. You know, like, yeah. you got a forward, a defenseman, and a goaltender. Like, I think they're all going to make impacts in their respective piece. I think Greg, Grant Cruikshank is the easy answer, sure. just knowing his body of work. But honestly, I think all three of them are going to make a good adjustment there. Are we are we fair to say that? I think we are because we we know with yeah. Brett Larson, you know, he doesn't like to dip into the transfer portal, and, and when he does, there's for a specific purpose. Yeah. And you know, for for ba- for for Dominic Basie, he comes in to try to again create some competition um, amongst his goaltending crew after losing yeah. David Renick, who had. Yeah, been their centerpiece for a couple of years. Um, and Horn is, is good depth at, at defenseman. Yeah. And, and, and then he's probably the one I, that I'm probably most excited to see. Cause we just haven't, we haven't seen union play a lot, right. you know? Yeah. So, I mean, and again, there's a reason why Brett has these guys in, so they'll make an impact for sure in their own unique and respective ways. And, you know, again, it's, it's that puzzle piece that Brett Larson is, is trying to put together. Um, and, you know, as we've seen in the past, more often than not with Brett Larson, um, a lot of those pieces he does take from the transporter end up fitting in pretty nicely. So I'm excited to see him play. Yeah. Speaking of fitting in uh, and helping acclimate, like you mentioned, the captain, Spencer Meyer. Final question from Derek. Is Spencer Meyer the nicest player on the team? Um, I would say uh, off uh, the ice, maybe uh, on the ice. No, hopefully right. not, because. Here's the thing. You know, yeah. I know we we know a lot of these guys. And one of the things that. Often, you know, and as the media people, we don't talk about this enough. You know, when you're around working with, you know, Husky Productions, you're doing the uh, the pre weekend interviews, which take usually on Tuesdays, maybe Wednesdays. Um, You get to kind of know these guys, not just as hockey players, but as people. Right. Um, Even going back to Kevin Fitzgerald, I mean, I'm just going to jump ship here. Not only was he the nicest guy, but he was the funniest dude in the freaking world. Um, And I will say, I, I think. I'm not, I'm not trying to make this a blanket statement, but I do feel like that Huskies locker room, not there. Everybody is super cool. Honestly, 
Um, I don't yeah. think you can single somebody out. I do think that that room is cohesive. I feel like everybody's in it for the team, not for themselves. And yeah, I really do feel like you can pick anybody in that locker room, have a, a normal human to human chat with them. And I think they're very, a very likable bunch, honestly. Yeah. And I think like one of the examples that maybe I would give is I remember going down, you know, a couple of years ago when we were there, I had to catch Brett Larson for something. And for whatever reason, the message that I had to talk to him didn't get relayed. So he was actually doing like a video session. He was with like seven other players or whatever. And I popped in and he was like, you know, do you need me for something? You know, he was kind of annoyed because he was like in the middle of his stuff. But, you know, you know, it took him five minutes to finish whatever he was doing. He came out, he was composed. He's like, hey, you know, sorry about that. You know, you know, um, what do you need for me? And, you know, I only need five minutes from you for this or whatever, you know, and very personable that sort of thing so it's like you know even in the moment i think that that locker room in general just has this common vibe of being accepting and it's really kind of opened up to the media side and i kind of wonder maybe a little bit too much now because i think there's a lot of people that want to get a hand in figuring out what huskies hockey is all about um mm-hmm. so i'm not that we started or ended that by any means but i think that you not know even close yeah uh, but... brett larson and his ability to be accepting of people allowed us to have the idea to do what we started to do and i think a lot of other people um also want a part of that too and that's exciting you know because there's a lot of really good storylines there um you know the other piece too here can I As comment it, real quick on Spencer? Um, just because, yeah. you know, also a, very, very great interview for him on uh, the rink live with Mick Hatton talking about the incoming freshmen and things like that. So if you go check that out. Yeah, very, very good. And uh, and for Spencer Meyer too, uh, you talk about, you know, him and his family. Uh, I'm working, uh, trying to finish up a, a big masterpiece, a, a documentary on him and sort of some uh, some unique things of his upbringing. Well, let's put it that way. Try to tease yep. it without giving it away. Um, you know, you talk about a, a genuine, nice human being that is an ultimate competitor on the ice, as you mentioned. Um, but, you know, one of the you talk about the reason why he's been a captain now for, a you know, two yeah, this will be his third season. Third season, that's right. Yeah, third straight yeah. season. There's a reason for that. Um, he rallies the troops. Uh, he knows when to say it, how to say it. Uh, and so, uh, for me, just a phenomenal human being. So, for him specifically, yeah, very, very nice guy to direct it directly at Derek, I should say. Uh, you know, just a, an incredible human being on and off the ice, for sure. Well, let's tie the media and the defensive core together. Brian Moose was the KVSC voice of uh, men's hockey, the play-by-play voice at right now. Um, also has the microphone next to his name on his Twitter handle. And why we didn't do that, I don't know why. And I'm kind of mad that we didn't because he took it now. Um, yeah, but it's, it's all good. Yeah, it's fine. Uh, what do you guys think of the defensive core this season? Personally, I am very excited to see what they can do. Uh, nine bodies is a lot of opportunity. for lot. You know, It's a lot. And, you know, it is sort of – it's that's where Brett wants to have his strength is on the blue line. Right. And we see that with nine defensemen. Um, dare I say, Noah, that I mean, we've seen some great players, Jimmy Schultz, we've seen Jack Ashaw, just name a few. Um, so at the end of it, you know, I think what's different this year is if he's carrying those extra bodies, dare we say that there's going to be, I think a very high standard held to the defensive core. And to Brian's point, does that mean that we might see more out of these? Maybe, maybe there's going to yeah. be um, a little bit more. And like I said, we need more offense from the blue line, a little bit more production than just from one person. So I do think you're going to see an emphasis on that. I do think with Cooper Wiley and Mason Reimers guys that seem to have an offensive instinct from the blue line um, to incorporate that maybe a little bit more in terms of the offensive uh, offensive scheme per se. Um, if that holds true and they can you know take care of business in their own end. Dare I say that could be a, a big game changer for this Husky squad moving into the season? Yeah. 
Uh, only a couple more questions, probably about five or so. So we'll try to cruise through them here. Uh, number one, are we really out of Brodzinski's? And uh, yes, this is from Johnny Mac. And uh, <laughs> I think I figured this out, Nick. C H S T R C P P R P T 33 says fresh out of Brodzinski's, but the Ashans shelf is stacked again. And I think I finally fi figured it out, Nick, what the heck this meant, because his actual name was Chester. And I realized I think it's short for Chester Copperpot, who was a treasure hunter, an adventurer, an all-around brigand who was a real person. But according to the movie, The Goonies was the guy who went missing in the 1930s looking for One-Eyed Willie's treasure. And I think that's what his handle is. So I think I finally figured it out. Um, it took me a hot minute, but I think I figured it out. So um, Probably we're out of, me, but sure. <laughs> yeah, you know, you know, all year. Um, we are out of Brodzinski's. Um, but the question is, do you see anyone making the jump and being the clear offensive leader? And is there any dark horse not on the top line right now? Which it's hard to say because I don't know who the top line is. But who do you right. think? Is there a clear offensive guy that you think is going to step out? I, I have a pair of them. But I think you're going to see Cranel be yep. part of that. That's I think one. Zach Okabe is going to be another part go. of that. And I yep. also think Adam Ingram is going to be sort of the freshman that has, again, the most uh you know uh, the the biggest ability to to join that group as we talked about before in his accolades a third round pick again is the national yeah. predators um that to me is going to be the names to watch in terms of offensive production um can i add a twist to that sure i was about to add one too want to add one together sure <laughs> who goes first i well i think vietti mietnin is going to have a bounce back junior season Damn it, you beat it to me. Uh, <laughs> well, I'll, I'll even twist a little bit more. He needs it. Yeah, he absolutely needs it because, again, with uh, some of the players and, you know, a little bit more completeness to their game, if he doesn't, it wouldn't surprise me if Vietti saw a reduced role. So yeah. I think, if anything, with Ethan O'Coin, Adam Ingram, and even, say, Jack Rogers, if he does project better um, in terms of his maybe projects more of his uh, uh, his numbers and maybe where he was playing, uh, that leaves somebody on the odd man out. So I, I would think yeah. that it's imperative for Vidi to have one, and I would hope that some of the things that we talked about that are deficient in this game he has worked on uh, because if he does, we know he's he has a release. That's the thing is he has a good shot to it. Yeah. That was a big reason why he had such the freshman year that he did. Wasn't he NCHC freshman of the year? I'm pretty sure he was yeah. um, two years ago. So if he doesn't, um, he's going to see a reduced role in the squad. And I think with Brett Larson carrying 90, you, know, you have a transfer goaltender, you have a freshman goaltender. Um, you're seeing tidbits that suggest that maybe he's more willing to switch things up, you know, on the fly or maybe game to the game than maybe he hasn't in the past. Good follow-up question here. What effect will the coaching change have with RJ Enga? I don't know if you see much. Now, one thing I, I sat next to RJ um, when they ran Mankato, and I'll tell you one thing: RJ has um, the sights of a hockey coach. Uh, he was an incredibly loud voice. Well, that's uh, good. To Nick Oliver <laughs> on the bench, right? Um, I don't know if you change much. Uh, if anything, it's going to be just how do you communicate? Because uh, again, he's going to be the the receiver from Clark Custer. I really think that the biggest thing is Clark Custer is how do those two form a communication line? What does Clark Custer see? Because again, that video coach, that sits up in the stands. It's got that bird's eye view. And then what sort of adjustments are the coaching staffs going to make based on what they see from not only on the bench, but also from up in the stands. And so to me, 
you're not going to see much of a, I don't know. I, just, I don't think it makes that so, much of a difference, but so, so Clark Roster will be up uh, with the magic conch up top and they'll say, what defensive adjustments do we need to make? Nothing. I, yeah. you know, I don't, right. Should be interesting. Well, speaking of adjustments, two more questions left here, Nick, and then uh, we'll head on to our extra ice session. Uh, Jason Bryant, who's the new public address voice. We'll talk about him in the extra ice session, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, best spot for me to grab a bite after a game. When I head back to the cities, Gina Carlson says blue line South is my go-to for post game shop stop yep. when I'm headed back. Um, and then of course, go Huskies. Well, the best spot is uh, MC's dugout. Just belly up and ask for the hairy Buffalo, the perfect after game snack, to which Caleb Peabody said, Maybe a little dangerous for a drive back to the Twin Cities. Very dangerous, actually. We, so Nick and I actually kind of perused around a little bit. There was there was one place. What was it called? White Horse, something or whatever that we. Yeah. Ate at. There was an Italian place that was down there on the backside of uh, whatever the. It would have been downtown. where the press was, which I mean, rep, but right. Know. But it was on the other side. Gosh, it was an Italian place. I'd have to look at the map again. Um, Boulder Very Tap good. House. Boulder, Boulder Tap House. House is always a good. Um, let me see if I can. Is there any others that you're thinking of? I want to that, see. If uh, I can. Well, that uh, that uh, I'm trying to remember that Irish place too. Um, the Irish. Oh, that's, ma- that's maybe that's what I'm thinking. Of. Let me see if I can pull the map up here for for you for you St. Claude State um, older folks. It's where the uh, old Rum Runners place used to be. Mm. Um, uh, I'm trying to remember the Irish pub names, but their food there was pretty good. Um, yeah, pretty much any anything kitty corner around that. Um, like in said, the downtown area, in the historic downtown, uh, you can't really go wrong, right? Um, I mean, I know a lot of people go to, go to the pickled loon. I never really had their food there. I guess I mean, I've been more. Um, let's see if I can figure out. You've been you've been more quenching thirst when you're there than anything. Yeah, no kidding. Well, there's the Chipotle brick and bourbon, obviously. Um, brick and bourbon's fantastic. Yes, great people. Seven too. West Tap House. Didn't we go to that one day? my honest jude (laughs) oh no oh i'm on the other side here let's see here old brick tap house that's what that's what it was that was really good when we went one time there too um so yeah i mean you've got options really kind of around down you know that fifth avenue down near uh you know mc's uh where cowboy jacks is Mm -hmm. uh those sorts of things certainly some interesting food items i would say like i said i would recommend maybe boulder tap house for the simple fact that once you're done eating there you can just draw it the two miles over and jump back on 15, and jump to yeah. 94 yep and um, just, yeah but at the end of it I, I i like the local flavors you know yeah. those yeah and even then you just hop down you know uh you know kind of road 75 and then link up with 94 there too it's really not that bad of a drive yeah. and at the end of the day I, I like the better food so yeah you know anything in historic downtown uh like i said brick and bourbon uh just the name you know the brick wine, house whatever it brick was house. that was really good yeah that was fantastic that that backside strip where like brick and bourbon is there's all of those restaurants whatever on the other side and yep. those were pretty good and then we went to white horse and that was okay a little bit expensive but i thought it was all right um we mm-hmm. went there with drew Steele, who of course is uh one of the nhl voices down in texas right now Corpus so christy i believe yep so um um by the way we also didn't mention congratulations the other day speaking of all the ushl talk for um uh why can't I think Dubuque uh, and Blake Tyson, who of course yes. has been a former guest on the show that we work with um, getting ready to work with Dubuque in uh, the USHL and as the, their play-by-play voice this season as well too. But final question, fan question here, Nick, uh, Caleb oh, wants boy. to know that uh, remember that time that everyone doubted the Huskies and they went on that magical run to the national championship game. Can we do that again? And if so, will Nick finally pay his debts and buy us dinner? 
That's getting old, Caleb. Can you come up with something else? Well, to, uh, be, to be fair, I haven't had my meal yet. I haven't either. <laughs> well, uh, well, speaking of things to chew on here, Nick, our final question. Um, we don't really have a comparison for the Huskies, but we do have right. a regular one as always. St. Cloud, we picked him finish, to finish fourth in the NCAA. She's certainly a chance for a lot of flux here if everything goes right. What do the Huskies have to do to not only secure home ice, but maybe try to claim a Penrose? Simplify, honestly. Um, you have some some freshmen. Uh, they're going to have to, again, have to adjust to NCAA Division One hockey. Um, you're going to have to replace your offense with a lot of that talent coming in. Um, and then just be sure defensively. Uh, I really do think that your defensive core and why you have nine is you're expecting maybe some turbulence up front early in the season. Uh, so to me, you simplify. I think you got to work pucks down low um, and, and try to at least establish a little bit of that forecheck. I know with Brett Larson, when he's able to work the puck from the uh, from the goal line and then use your defenseman to go low high, I, I see a lot of success in that. And then once you're freshman, especially forward freshman, uh, try to get in the groove and maybe get adjusted. That's where you can really start to really put on the gas, uh, get some rush attempts, uh, you know, really unlock some of the true talent uh, uh, potential that's with these guys but to me you, you keep it simple early you allow these guys to get acclimated and then you go from success from there certainly i agree take what's given to you a little bit and you know find a bit of that killer mentality that you had a couple of years ago too and you know feeling comfortable being down in one goal games and realizing that you know it's okay if you're down one nothing it's okay if you're down two to one like you're gonna be okay just find a way to figure it out and and try to find the next bounce a little bit and certainly a little bit of puck luck plays into that but um you know being the team that gets to three goals, I think that should be your goal is, are you getting the three goals every night and build from there? Defensive- that was the case against Duluth. <laughs> yeah. You know, def- defensively, you know, it might be an up and down slope, but you know, finding that offensive production, finding that groove, finding that identity line for each thing. Do you have a scoring line? Do you have a shutdown line that can win faceoffs? Then more to that fourth line we talked about a couple years ago with Will Hammer, right. Um, and Jared Cockrell. So I think it's going to be exciting. And of course, Wishing the St. Cloud State Huskies the best of luck in everything they do in the NCHC this season. We can't wait to cover another season of Huskies hockey. With that being said, Nick, a very abbreviated extra ice session is yet to come for all the happenings at St. Cloud State. And welcome into the Extra Ice Session. Nick Maxson joining myself, Noah Grant. Nick, um, we are almost done with the show. Listeners, thank you for sticking around with us as we approach the two-hour mark. I don't know the last time that we've actually ever said that on the show. Maybe a Christmas special? Maybe. Yeah, we're getting up on uh, up there on that one for sure. Um, But just very abbreviated, you know, eight, ten minutes that we're going to talk about. All the latest St. Cloud State happenings here, some things that you missed. Of course, today was the 17th of September. The puck drop breakfast was today, and that, of course... A couple of years ago was my first ever introduction to Brett Larson and all the coaches at St. Cloud that have kind of started us all on this journey. So kind of a fun little event that you get to check out as well. Um, the captains, like we had alluded to, were named uh, a couple weeks ago. Uh, graduate defenseman Spencer Meyer in his third season wearing the C. Senior forward Yami Kranila, graduate forward Micah Miller, and graduate forward Aiden Spellacy, all wearing the assistant captain letters. And Nick, it's interesting because we talked about, you know, we talked about the prediction of NCHC previews and we talked about Aiden Spellis he maybe didn't have the greatest you know senior season that he had anticipated and we thought maybe he might not be back you know that sort of thing depending on the influx or whatever and you know not to say that we caught flack for that or anything 
But I think, you know, it's easy to say, oh, you wrote this guy off and now he's still on the team. That sort of thing didn't have, you know, great point production, um, but it's certainly a glue guy, as you can clearly tell with wearing a letter in that locker room, which is something which is something that admittedly is a little bit harder for us to see versus if we were around the guys for a day or two or in that locker room, we probably pick up on it right away. But then again, being a glue guy doesn't always mean that you stay because you still got to produce, too. So. Mm -hmm. First of all, I'd like your opinion on the captains, but then a guy like Aiden Spellacy, where maybe we weren't the highest on him, maybe being a returner. Um, same with a guy like Brendan Bushy. And now they're returning. You know, how do you quantify that for a listener who is wondering the thought process of where we were at and that sort of thing? Because it, it, does, it doesn't mean that we have a negative take on them per se. It's just trying to evaluate what we see. Well, that's just it. You have to understand that, you know, from our role is, you know, what's the overall impact for them on the team, right? So it's it's not that... We're trying to, you know, burn a player down by any stretch of the means, but we do want to analyze what their impact is overall to the team, right? Um, so for Spellacy, right, coming in uh, for us, no question, was a depth role, um, a role that is more defensive than is offensive. So again, we and we talked about this before, Noah. Uh, sometimes I know the key phrase ad nauseum, right? Where yeah. um, that fourth line role, uh, Will Hammer, Jared Cockrell, um, and then gosh, I gotta remember the. The other Tyler Kupka, wasn't it? Tyler Kupka, yes. Thank you very much. So it's one of those deals where, speaking of which, where did Kyler Kupka go? I didn't see him on the roster. Isn't isn't he playing for St. Thomas? That's that's right. I'm a goofball. Yeah. Um, at, at the end of the day, you know, they fit a perfect role. And although if you you know took them out, and if you never saw them play, and you looked at their statistics, and you go, that's not that impressive. But then you actually watch them and watch them in the system that made them successful. They were one of the toughest lines to play against defensively <laughs> i don't know why i said st thomas who am i thinking of i'm not thinking of kyler kupka kyler kupka's on the team sorry names for for this for those who are wondering how the hell we just did that um names really start to run together when when we've been rotating seasons, over, yes. over and over for four seasons who are we thinking of that went to um saint that thomas? was thomas rockhill wasn't it no thomas rock was playing oh for... to uh, zerbs uh, oh, Trevor Zins. Trevor Zins, yes. Yeah, Thank sorry, you. Kyler Kupka. I, I was because in my head I was like Kyler Kupka. I thought had a good year last year. He did. Um, um, yeah. For whatever reason, I just didn't remember seeing. I'm like, wait a yeah, minute. Sorry, Kyler. Team. We'll have a better year, Kyler. I'm an, so we're not, so not going to forget you. Yeah. I'm a, so I'm such an idiot. Yeah. He's anyway, a classman. I know that. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, Oops. but but to that point, right? You know, it's not that they, you know, they don't get all the praise because their numbers don't jump off the paper, but. You know, for the for those who know the game, and for for us that have played it at a higher level, for those who we can we can sit back and we say, all right, there is an appreciation for these guys, right? Um, Aiden Spellacy, number one, as a transfer, right? So there are some players when they come in and transfer to a program. We just talked about those Grant Crookshank, right, earlier in the in the uh, in the episode. Whereas sometimes you go to a Minnesota because you have a skill set, and, and granted, it's a two way street, right? That means. You want to go there, and also the coaching staff wants you there too. So you feel like there's a fit, right? Um, and for whatever reason, just some, a lot of times reasons beyond anybody's you know control, it just never meshed. Um, but you kind of wonder too if, if that's the case. Um, maybe they feel like with Spellacy, a, a year number two, maybe he's more comfortable with the system, right? That, that's so hard sometimes, especially yeah. when you've been playing under the same system for a couple of years, you're so comfortable in it. Then you have to switch things up, maybe switch your role. Maybe he was more of a goal scorer uh, in his previous team, but now he's more of a, of a shutdown role type forward. Right. So all these factors come into play. And I really, truly really think that again, you don't, 
you, you get voted on a captain by the players, number one. So that means right. the players want you. They, they, they understand the value of him. And the coaching staff obviously sees the value in him. And I kind of feel like maybe that was, dare I say, like a learning curve year. Um, and maybe this year he's got a little bit more handle on maybe the system and some of the things of where he needs to be. I do think he's going to bounce back this year. I really do. Um, yeah. And because if he does, um, I mean, shoring up that bottom six is so important uh, for the Huskies and he's going to be a big integral part of that. And, and no question that if both the team himself uh, didn't feel like that marriage was good, he wouldn't be back. So I, I feel like both of them see that there's a potential for uh, a comeback year. Otherwise, he wouldn't be in his position right now. For those who were wondering, Kyler Kupka finished ninth in team scoring uh, among forwards, five goals, 13 assists, 18 points and 37 contests. Half a point per game player was plus 12 last season. Um, yeah, geez, he's going to be a senior this year. Sorry, Kyler. Crazy? Um, you know, the yeah, it just runs together so fast. The other thing that I will say, not that it's an excuse at all. Um, we can talk hockey at nauseum, and it's not often that our brains get fried from talking hockey for a long time. My brain is absolutely fried from doing all the NCHC yes. previews for sure. So um, apologies, Kyler. Jeez Louise. Um, like I said, have an even better year so that we never forget you. A um, couple of things that we won't forget here. Only three more little quick topics here. Uh, new video boards and sound system up at the Herbrooks National Finally. Hockey Center um, with a new public address voice to go along with it. Of course, grateful for Chuck Clausen's 32 years of service and dedication, wishing, wishing him the best. Um, but veteran PA announcer Jason Bryant uh, joins St. Cloud State with NCAA championship and Olympic experience actually follows us on a bunch of different platforms. So thank you for that as well. Uh, 30 years of experience kind of pretty much started his own startup company back in the late nineties when he was still going to school and has really earned that um, several high level events in the wrestling world. That's kind of his big gig. Uh, three Olympic games, 16 world championships and 48 college national championships behind the public address, Mike. So um, pretty good voice to be, be added as well. As a new TV voice um, on color analyst role too, Gino. Nick. Yeah, yes. Gino Parrish. So uh, new voices coming in, new video board sound system. Uh, before we get to our very last little topic that will tie that all together very quickly, uh, what do you think of all the new faces? Uh, I like Gino, as you uh, have, you know, I called the game with him back in 2019, the uh, all-star high school prospects game down there in St. Paul. Uh, yeah. So he, he's, first of all, I love his energy. Um, he, again, former San Jose player himself. Um, and I think in his one appearance, uh, last year too, I think he showed that, uh, he's capable of doing it for a full season. I know that uh, he's, he had some freelance opportunities here and there. Um, he knows the game. He knows how to communicate his knowledge in a concise and, and a really good way. Um, and like I said, I think what people are going to like about Gino is he's going to have a little bit of that homerism to himself, which I think is good. Um, mm -hmm. And, uh, but I, I think, like I said, I think he's just been, uh, he's been more polished since even I did a game with him. I think he's really worked on his craft and, and dare I say, I, I think we have to stop here real quick, Noah, because I think we do have to give out an appreciation for Pat Micheletti. Yeah. I really, really do because he served St. Claude state broadcast for a multitude of years is a wonderful human being both uh, off the camera as well as on the camera. He's incredibly talented, um, incredibly knowledgeable about the game. Um, and, and the man was a gopher on top of that. Right. So, so you know, it's <laughs> at the end of it, you know, it's it's a change. Uh, there's no question. Yeah. We do wish Pat the best of luck. I know he's, uh, even the last year, I know he was doing some stuff down with the Iowa Wild as a radio analyst. I know he's been jumping back and forth. And, you know, whenever you 
take one full-time gig and, you know, dare I say, you know, things move in a different direction. Again, I don't know the reasoning for everything that happened. Um, but, you know, I, I think it is, uh, I owe Pat a lot too, because even off camera, uh, you know, it's a wonderful uh, guy to talk to. We talked hockey before MS every, almost every single broadcast or the past couple of seasons, whether it was in radio um, or on the television side, he's a very approachable human being. I can love to talk the game of hockey. And uh, no question, it's going to be different around uh, the Husky Productions world uh, without him. So, but with that being said, you know, uh, I, I do owe him thanks, but, uh, you know, also excited to see what Gino brings uh, to the broadcast, yeah. a little bit different voice, but I think it'll be great. Yeah. The, what is the opposite of a, a wave of babies, the wave of veterans? I have no idea. Um, but the, wishing the wave of uh, geriatrics, maybe <laughs> <laughs> the nur- the nursing home specials. I, yeah. uh, um, the wave of know... Knicks, I guess, if you're yeah. going for Caleb, jeez, <laughs> you know, I just remember your glasses and make sure the lights are on. I, uh, but you know, yeah, obviously wishing Pat the best of luck, obviously a lot of adversity in his personal life too, that, He's really yes. uh, shine through as well, too. So um, speaking of shiny new things, if you're talking about all things TV related, the TV schedule has been finalized as well, too. You can find that on the Huskies website. And if you want to see public address announcers, new video board sound system, well, the season starts October 1st and 2nd, obviously. Uh, but the red and black scrimmage is on September 25th, next Sunday uh, at 7.30 p.m. Central Time. It is free to the public. Uh, the team will split into two groups and participate in a controlled scrimmage for three 10-minute periods. The first two will be five-on-five action, and the final period is power play and penalty kill work. So if you want to get a chance to take a look at the Huskies as they ramp up into their final week before play, it should be exciting. Nick, I think I speak for you when I say that we need to get the heck out of here. That was yes. a long, long yes, episode. Yes, it was. Thank you so much for all of us who listened to us. Um, of course, had to give our Huskies some time and props, though, obviously. Very exciting excited for this team uh hopefully continuing trending in the right direction i'm really excited about this mix in this team this year so uh mm-hmm. wild preseason getting underway um on that same sunday on the 25th we will record our show likely on that day and release either later that day or on monday a minnesota wild preview potential st cloud lineup card look for the extra ice session haven't confirmed that yet but we'll look st cloud state women's hockey gets underway the 24th and 25th i believe st thomas there um, I, I think they added so. an, an extra game on the 24th and then men's hockey regular season action starts uh, October 1st. So with that being said, Nick, for episode number 129 for Nick Maxson, I'm Noah Grant, and we will see you soon in the den. One-timer coming, they score! She scores! Dana Rasmussen for the Huskies alongside. Dwayne Kaprizov in for a chance to win it. He scores! Kirill the thrill is for real! Welcome to the NHL, a game winner. St. Cloud Cathedral is now 42.6 seconds away from wrapping up the school's first ever title.